yeah, so we are back for that 70 show part two, Prof. It's 247. We are flying along here. Nearly up to the 250. We're doing back-to-back podcasts, Gary. We only had Con interrogating us in the lair less than 24 hours ago. And now we're back in the four props. Um, as you, you might hear, it's a little bit more airy. The upstairs room in the provs has been done up, so um, it used to be full of carpet and lovely curtains, and it's all wood now. Sort of, they've gone in a different direction, <laughs> but that's what you're going to be dealing with. So um, we were guessing Martin's occupation, prof. So we're going to go one more each before we find out. We'll, we'll, try, we'll, we'll keep going again. I'm going to go um, aerobics instructor. <laughs> <laughs> Forget that rope around 1990. Yeah. <laughs> well, we were saying earlier, radio host because he has the radio voice. Yeah, yeah. I also had some random guesses on the show. What a good name! Insurance yeah. salesman. <laughs> well, have you ever seen Roman <laughs> Collins that, and Martin in the call. same room? <laughs> <laughs> he makes three No. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, uh, welcome to What's My Life. Yeah. So we're back, like you said, in the four props, and um, we're going to talk about the second half of the decade when we actually start winning things. The grimness of the 70s starts to come to an end. So, um, same as before, we are reading snippets from Robert Goggins' book, A Chronological History of the SRFC. So, we'll pick up where we left off a few months ago in part one. And that was the beginning of the 76-77 season. Rovers were rock bottom, having finished 14th and last in the league. No relegation, am I right, gentlemen? No, re-election. Yeah. Re-election, so... Yeah. Um, Bo's favourite word. Bo's favourite word, yeah. And we just signed a young Robbie... Gaffney with his porn star moustache was that in vogue at the time the old the rat yeah yeah it was, quite, it was a bit was 70s a thing them, yeah. one of the hangovers from if you look at the Herald or the press at every junior football team they had about eight blokes in the team with the with the, the papa moustaches yeah. it was the the, the horseshoe moustache yeah. was very was popular as well. my dad had that for yeah. years very popular I think, with, I think it was, with djs at the time it was the actually. jason king i think because he was the a, jason king that's it yeah. was a, it's a late 60s TV character played by a guy called Peter Wingard and he was a, like a, a secret agent crime fighter but he was a, a detective novelist by day but he had this moustache <laughs> but I also have a theory about him the fact that there's a lot of Jasons born around 1970 like half the UCD team in the 90s were called Jason I'm pretty sure they were all named after Jason King but so Jason King yeah, mm. yeah so once we like you said we will discover Martin's occupation it's probably the it's most eagerly in the only reason I'm here of this podcast the only reason I came down Never mind today Giles I wouldn't build up too much <laughs> So, interviewed two West Ham fans on last week's podcast about their Conference League win. Although they couldn't make it to Prague, Roma were beaten by Sevilla Stop. in Europa League final a week later. John tweeted this, Home after a crazy, complicated couple of days in Budapest, I can honestly say I've never experienced anything to compare with being surrounded by Roma's lunatic fringe for six hours on Wednesday night. The game seems almost trivial in comparison. Insane. There's a story to tell. So, John, let's Ooh. hear it. Oh. Let's hear that story. <coughs> well, for one thing I picked up a voice. No, it was absolutely mental there. I actually, um, I was there on my own, but uh, when I got into the stadium, I just happened to bump into uh, Fabian from the Roma clan. Okay. I hadn't seen him in a few The oh, Irish the connection Irish, that Rovers yeah. had not really? uh, hadn't, ah. hadn't seen him in years. And he was like, ah, oh, you know, he's, oh, you've got to come down the front. And I'm going like, hang on, I'm 63 years old. Were you a yeah. capo for the day? Ah, uh, <laughs> Jesus. Um, so I went down and it took about 20 minutes to get to his spot but because they all it was similar to Corvus so they all congregate together all the different groups and I realised that I'm stuck here for the next six hours because there was no way back yeah 
and it was mental. It was guys climbing over my shoulder and standing on my head. And, yeah. <laughs> Luckily that, enough, there was nothing more stealing off me. You know, maybe my, my nice Adidas Gazelles. That was about as far as it went. The shoulders off your back. Mental. Well, it was a great game, isn't it? Oh, oh yeah, I forgot there was a game on as well. <laughs> I am. Um, do you remember? I remember there was a photograph going around of the Corvus Sud, and he had a Rover's rain jacket on. Do you remember that? That's right, the grey one, yeah. Yeah, the grey one. Was there, can, is there any, can you shed any light on that? There? Well, one of the lads would have given it to him. One of the lads, yeah. And he just thought yeah. that he wore it as well. Like yeah, actually, I remember. I was there that night, and there was a, a fierce storm, and it was bucketing down. And the other way the Capos walk, they, they, back, s- to goal. they, they back to the goal, yeah. down the front, and he would have been soaked within seconds. And he's there for 90 minutes. Well, obviously, with the rose jacket on, that protected him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bone dry was at the end of the game. And uh, Martin, Christy Dignam passed away there a couple of days ago. Uh, any memory to share, Christy? Preferably not one absolutely slating him, like Dion Fanning on RT Radio today. Um, basically, I've met Christy a couple of times. My best memory of him was um, George Bourne was a good friend of Aslan's. He used to tell some hilarious stories about him. But he was up for a turn up for Ringo's funeral and uh, I remember a lot of people I'd, to be honest with you looking at him on the, on the day he wasn't in a great place himself you know but it meant an awful, an awful lot to a lot of people they were to keep his good friend to Ringo and Ringo was a good friend to them he used to beat them up in the papers like the stars he used to tell Ringo Ringo used to beat them up in the papers oh, oh, oh big them up big oh, them big up them oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Sorry, what, what, well, that did, would have made sense well, he, as well yeah. <laughs> well he told me a story once yeah he had to like some bands about yeah. the drummer I, can't remember, I don't know the guy's name but um, he saw Ringo reading the paper one day he looks at her and says, George, you're always reading, aren't you? He says, you know, I'm reading the paper, yeah. I think you know a lot of words, do you? <laughs> <laughs> but he was very like, and, like, like just, but um, I think if poor Ringo was here, he would have been very upset about, about Christy, you know. I felt it was an awful cheap shot, to be honest. I mean, th- we're talking about like celebrating people and he was very negative in his interview. He pretty much turned around and well, skated uh, him. But it was fair enough that he didn't write him. That's 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 that. allowed. But that. it seemed it seemed quite personal. He, he, he was throwing yeah. digs after this man died, so he pretty much that's said cool. um, he blew his chance at stardom. He goes, he blew it. He absolutely blew it. Was the was I, the quote? You know, Claire was trying to turn it a bit positive, and mm. he kept going back negative for more. He took he took pride in it. It was yeah. it was really think, really but poor he, taste. Even, even, even the, the the thing that got me was undermining Chrissy's reasons for. You know, getting a, getting Why would he doubt smack. that? I mean, for fuck's sake! He pretty much yeah. doubted yeah. Christie's talk of abuse. And like, I, no, I wouldn't be. I'd be honest. Aslan be miles away from the type of music I like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be a fan, but I think like a lot of people didn't have much of an opinion about Aslan, but I had a lot of time for Christie as a person. Like, yeah. You know, mm. So that to do something, I, I didn't hear it. Like, but to do something like that, no, I was really cheap. Yeah. Well, I couldn't believe it. Speechless. But the thing is, they were working class lads who tried to do something for themselves. Yeah. And and as a working class lad, who tried to become a rock star myself and failed <laughs> as, as always, miserably. As always, as always, maybe, maybe, Dave, maybe Dave was talking about me. Really. Yeah. As always, in these things, there's a Rovers connection. Um, when they reformed in 1993, it was due yeah. to the efforts of one man, a Rovers fan, and that's Robbie Foy. Robbie was involved in the Fingless uh, community festival at the time and they thought it might be a good idea if they got Aslan back together again. And they said, you'll never do it. And he basically spent ages and ages. He got this. It's actually mentioned in the biography of them and everything, you know, that he got them back together again, yeah. He's uh, very modest, doesn't like talking about it. Oh, <laughs> no, he has a snare for that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but Robbie is the reason they got back together again. Oh, so, excellent stuff. Yeah. Nice little sidebar there. There you go. So 60, or 76, 77 league position, 11 trophies won the League Cup. So I remember speaking mm-hmm. about this before. You mentioned that any sort of silverware was 
brilliant. Yeah. And he saw a civil war. Even the game was an achievement back then. Yeah. And, <laughs> and more interestingly, we'll get to in a second, this league cup was at the very start of yeah. the season. It's yeah, not it like September, January. I think, yeah. It's not like January or February mid season. This was like the beginning. So to win a trophy off the back of coming last, this is What was the game? Was it last yeah, they or used, something? They it? used to play the I remember the, the, the group stages were at the start of the season. Yeah. Because the League Cup came in to replace the Shield, which used to be a half a season. Yeah. At, at the start of the season I think we're a couple of years and into this new league yeah, yeah. And so there would have been the group games and then I think it went into the quarterfinals mm. and then the league started could you say yeah. it was a pre-season cup well it started in pre-season but the final would have been within there's part of the season there's a bit of meat in those mm. bones um, Prof you're going to read the music mm. sections of today's show this is a bit I enjoyed last <clears> time Great year for music, 76. <coughs> 76. I'm seeing okay. a bit of ABBA here now. I'm no, no Sex Pistols. I like a bit of ABBA. Sex Pistols. <laughs> the Ramones first album. Well, these are highlights now. That's not everything. So we got 1976. The emergence of disco and punk rock. Mamma Mia and Dancing Queen. December 1963, Oh What a Night. Elton John and the Beach Boys had number ones. Hotel California. The Boys Are Back in Town. The Cure. Joy Division. You two are all formed. Ike and Tina Turner break up. An, an attempted assassination of Bob Marley. It's a busy year. This is a very busy year. The band that gives its last public performance. That's a big one for my dad. The my, band, yeah. My yeah. dad is obsessed Isn't that the, with band the band that we tried to book for? No, literally, that band. That was their name. They, did, yeah. Didn't you try to book them for? No. No? no. no. <laughs> Who, what band am I thinking of? These are from the other side of the Atlantic. Okay, maybe these are a bunch different bands. These are a bunch of Canadian lads. So. <laughs> I know you're talking about. Yeah, they, you know what I'm talking they about. They love to play the band music. The, the last waltz. And uh, yeah, the last performance. Martin Scorsese is on a hand to film it, to film the band's last performance. And um, September, the Queen performs a massive free concert at London Hyde Park for over 150,000 people. I'm the Queen, Queen rather than the Queen, isn't it? I don't think the address uh, of the Queen would have been too <laughs> interesting. I'm glad you came. Out <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess Freddie Mercury backing her up there, yeah. And we have April 29th. When his tour stops in Memphis, Tennessee, Bruce Springsteen jumps the wall at Elvis Presley's mansion, Graceland, in an attempt to see his idol. Security guards stop Spring, uh, Springsteen and escort him off the grounds. And finally we have October 11th. Irish singer Joe Dalton is banned for life by Aer Lingus after an, after an air rage incident en route to Corfu from Dublin. There you go. That happened! That happened. And Joe the Rogue. Actually, there is one more thing. Tin Lizzy are forced to cancel their US tour when guitarist Brian Robinson injures his hand in a bar fight. Right, so... It's a um, great story. The 76 is <laughs> huge year for Irish music and Tin Lizzy coming out. How, how popular was Tin Lizzy within Dublin? Very. Ah, they were still are. What a huge... Are. Yeah. Still are, but with them being in that time, in the 76, when they came out, was he like a mega rock star, world superstar? Well, they were big in England. They, Boys of Town was a hit in America. And big, actually, funny enough, that the, the, the incident you made, it happened down the speakeasy, and that's, a, that's a, was an infamous story that uh, Brian Robson went down with another singer, Frankie Miller, two Glaswegians, and got into my, And basically, a guy was going to glass Frankie Miller. And Brian Robson put his hand in and destroyed all the tendons in his hand. Jeez. The day before they were flying out to America. And Frank Murray, who later on managed the Pogues, was their tour manager. And he, said, he actually quoted in the documentary, what did you hear, what did you say when you heard about Robbo? I thought, well, fuck you, Robbo. <laughs> but they didn't do the, the tour, and that killed them. They yeah. never made it in America as big because of that, you know. That was, they were all set up, 
and that, that's what happened yeah, Jeez, one instant. nice bit of trivia there two, two, two Glasgow two Glasgow agents in the nightclub the night before sure, what could have happened there <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, Johnny Fulham Mick Leach returned the season to the club very different Shamrock Rovers to the one that they left so Mick Leach returned to the club was this in was this an over the hill Mick Leach no not, so, not, he, at, not, all. not at all no, sure. McLeish debuted, I think, in '67. '67. So it wouldn't be over the hill. Yet. And besides, Mick's thing wasn't about like pace yeah. or lots of running around. Mick yeah. was a six-yard guy. Fox yeah, a six-yard box. box. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Although when so we come really, to the week of final, he got the most on Mick type of goal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was actually, I actually looked at a good stack and t- talking about that type of striker, Bas Dost. The big Dutchman has scored. He scored 45 first touch goals in a row. Yeah. Force in a row. In a row. <laughs> that's a proper striker. That's yeah. that's no touch at all. Just burying it. So fascinating stuff. But 13 of June, League of Ireland AGM, stage in Dublin, and as expected, Shamrock <laughs> Rovers along with Limerick were re-elected to the league without any bother. The fact that no other club had applied for membership eased the nerves in the approaching AGM. And 5th of September, the League Cup was organised into four groups of four teams, and the hoops got off to a great start with a fortuitous win at home to home farm. They finished top of Group D, unbeaten after further wins against the league champions Dundalk at Oriel Park, in which Robbie Gaffney scored his first goal for the club. And Shelbourne, do you ever know? Do you know he won Player of the Year, first ever Player of the Year. He never brings it up. Though. He never talks about no. it. Stay away, Liam Buckley. Doesn't bring up that he won the Young Player of the Year. Twenty-sixth <laughs> <laughs> of September, Mick Leach was amongst the goal scorers as hoops crews passed non-league call ramblers in the League Cup semi-final at St Colm's Park. And after a couple of years seeing their club in the doldrums. The fans now had a prestigious cup final to look forward so to. So it looks like it went from the group to the semis, away at the Cove. I like that format. the final at Daly Mount against Lloyd. I like that. I like a group yeah. stage that leads into another game and then into... Like, I, I, I love that format. I think that's really cool. That and League Cup is dead in the war, isn't it? At the minute. Yeah. yeah. That continued right up until the early 90s, I think, because it was a group stage League Cup and it was more early season. Yeah. 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 Considering the congestion that exists now and will exist and will cause mayhem... In our schedule, like the likes of Tommy Tommy, who has a, a real bee in his bonnet about mm. scheduling. I don't think we can we can resurrect the league cup anytime soon. Well, you have to remember, like that, that was back then when, when there was fourteen teams in the, in the league. There was yeah. only one single division, so you only got twenty six games in the league campaign anyway. So that's only half a year. So they had yeah, to have it's, things. Scheduling like, is a really interesting thing, though. It's it's something that um, we're going to struggle with this year in particular with the fourth round of the, of the mm. cup. We've gotten Dundalk away. Know, where, where, where are we going to shoehorn that in? It's it's literally like it yeah. could be the same day as the Man United the friendly. Day, the have to play the Dublin Airport or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so they don't have a Winter World Cup. You mean year, Shannon right? Airport? Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Winter World Cup. Yeah, exactly. Sixth of October, the League Cup final went ahead at Daly Mount despite earlier threats by Sligo that they would refuse to play. The Westerners pushed the matter to the brink in an effort to force the League of Ireland to alter their decision to play the final as a one-off standalone game. Sligo wanted a two-leg affair, objected to a one-off final being played in Dublin. They turned up, though, and played under protest. The final was won by the hoops. The only goal scored by Mick Leach and raised optimism at Milltown. And the season ahead would see a huge improvement, 75 and 76. So Leach's winning goal came to 88 minute, and as the game approached the end, the Sligo officials were beginning to feel that they would get their way in the end with a realistic prospect of a second game. This was Thoughts a- of a double final, a two-leg final, horrify me. Yeah, they really do, and we did play one actually against Cork in the late nineties. Right, two yeah, legs, yeah. Um, but this was one leg here. So talk about this goal. I think this was like it was a it was a, it was a long range shot, yeah. 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 which is it's so unmixed. Yeah. Twenty yards yeah. out, 
Yeah. Funny, I was just thinking about this that um, the whole seventies thing. You could have there are three goals that Mick League scored, which, which kind of underpin a lot of this. And uh, it was the goal he scored against us for Waterford in seventy. Like there's three goals. And I say one broke our hearts, one gave us a lot of joy, and another one kind of suggested a future that never quite happened. So we come to that one shortly. <laughs> but but the, the one for Waterford against us broke our hearts, and the one he scored against Sligo, geez, it was just like it was only the League Cup, but it was the first thing we'd ever mm. seen him win. I remember speaking but, passionately about that. It was a Thursday night, and about fifty was just marching the town with flags and everything, and then you know just went home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to remember the last time Rovers uh, like they would have won the cup in nineteen sixty nine. Some seven years. And like between the ages of ten and, and seventeen, that's a big, big gap. And plus during those years yeah. that the crowds had like yeah. just disappeared. You know, you you, you, you look, like in sixty nine, seventy, yeah. I remember going to games to be fifteen, twenty thousand people. You know, like Within three the, years there was like fifteen hundred. After the playoff in yeah. seventy one, I don't think we even got into the top four in the league. We didn't no. get to a semi-final. I don't. We hardly got to a quarter-final. Really, we got to one or two, maybe. Quarter-final, seventy-three. Anyway, yeah, because that we was didn't the, get to the famous anyway. after yeah, the Atlanta. We didn't get near this, uh, final. So the late sixties, you would have had fifteen, twenty thousand. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I, I so even remember. after the sixty-six World Cup, and we always we always comment on who stole our game that by Daryl Whelan. Um, we always talk about if sixty-six World Cup had a major effect on the on the crowds. If you were saying that you had fifteen, twenty thousand between mm. sixty-nine and seventy, maybe the nineteen sixty-six World Cup had no effect no, on the fickle that the crowds just dwindled so much due to it's not so much the World Cup. I think that's when the Teddy came television match of the yeah. day. Not yeah. that not that year, but more prominent. There was yeah, there was the big match would have been on on the Sunday that started at two o'clock. So you kind of if you were living on the other side, you might well watch the big match or will I go out to Milton yeah. kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we still had a young team then, didn't we? Like we just said that Mick Leach and Johnny Fulham came back. But other than that, was a very like Alan O'Neill and Gaffney were very young. Well, it was Cherry Orchard, yeah. wasn't it? Was that the Cherry Orchard team? It was a lot of kids. John John Wilkes yeah, had that was, team. Yeah, it was. It was basically with no money, so they brought in. It was a kids' mm. team. Yeah, you know? yeah. They they spent a lot of money on the side when they when the that's a coins. They spent a lot of money when they first came in. Yeah, you know, getting the likes of Tom McConville and John Herrick, and then that didn't work out. So they decided not to spend money. <laughs> and it went to the other extreme. And there get we the were. Get the kids in. In 76. Yeah, get the kids in and obviously getting a couple of season pros, like of Johnny Fulham and yeah. Mick Leach. Two great signings when you think about it. Yeah. A lot of the old stars were gone, like Frank O'Neill. I can't remember if we mentioned this in part one, but you're a moniker on, on the no, old ultra definitely farm. definitely didn't. I'm looking at this now yeah. and I had no idea you were Billy were Lord. You, were you called Billy Lord on the farm and then did you change to Frank O'Neill? Was it? Yeah. I, I can't remember the... The form disappeared and came re- yeah, resurrected. The initial form was great. Yeah, I was and Billy Lord. Billy Lord, you were quite a spiky poster. I remember that as well. I, I used to love. I used to always just identify people by their form names and who I loved. Like Northside Hoopaholic was Barry. Mm. I used to yeah, love his yeah. stuff. Ashbourne was was Paul O'Connell. Um, and That's right, yeah. you didn't really want to know who they were, you know. So it was the mystiques around. Yeah, it was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had to say I'm a much more content individual these days. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> John had my favourite profile photo on the forum or avatar. You remember what it was? No, um, no, what was it? You know the picture that we have blown up of you celebrating. A twig scores oh, the, the last minute goal, yeah. and there's a guy in the top right corner with his arms up like this. Oh yeah, you, we spoke just about this at life. a couple of live shows. You're literally yeah. that's me. It's Martin. Mm. Yeah, oh, Martin. You you're just me. like this. I actually levitate. And it, is, it is the it's it's just a picture that is of, one of my favorite joy. Pictures, yeah. I forgot that that was Martin. <laughs> me, yeah. I was down the front. <laughs> Everyone was just around. See, that was the first, that was the first day. That was the first day that the the Glenmore Suite opened. Was it? And, it, and we went in there. And 
we basically, I, I remember it was only the East End was open, or the West End was only open at the, at the time. And we were in the Glenmore Street having a few drinks, and we came out, and they wouldn't let us go up to the rent. So we had to stand right beside where the Bowes fans were, yeah. and they were giving us lacquer. I remember. I remember, because we were 1-0 down. But uh, come near the end, it was quite a nice place to be. Yeah, like, it was. Uh, do you know what? I, think, I just remember yeah. the second goal going in, and still celebrating. I, th- I think I might have just caught the tail end of the goal, because mm. Vinnie Collins, you know, Vinnie from Ballier, he had somehow slid into the away end. So we're <laughs> pulling him back by the, by the coattails, you could say, and we're dragging him out. And he's like, let me at them! <laughs> so we're pulling him and then we're still celebrating and yeah. then I think I just saw the, the goal, goal go in and we were like fuck off that that did not well, we were literally just, no we come back to, to where it after the first one yeah the well, <laughs> so well actually the, there were some people there who were celebrating the equaliser with their left hand yeah. and celebrating the winner with their right hand Oh, my Gary Martin's face. That is a pure, ma- pure unbridled it's, it's, joy. It's blown up in Johnny Blues. It's oh, like it's just, this size. It's massive. Just, just you know, screaming I, to the heavens like I just remember now when I got that printed for you, your face was cut off the top corner. I was like, do that again. No, this guy is the most important part of the photo. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Print yeah, it again. Yeah. That was a happy day. <laughs> so we have 10th of October. Oh, 10th of October, yes. The two on defeat at home. To draw the United it was the beginning of a five-game run of straight losses as the hoops once again found themselves in dangerous territory, the bottom of the table. Um, fear of re-election looming. Prof. Twenty-third of February, two all draw in the second round of the FA Cup meant that Rovers and Bowls had to do it all again in the replay oh at Milltown. Oh but this time, oh the Daily Mount Park outfit were clear four-nil winners, and a certain Pat Bourne was amongst the Gypsies' goal scorers that afternoon. So. Think this Tell me been, about this. I think this was our record cup defeat until the Cork 4-0. The first or game. 5-0, yeah. Is this Papborn? Papborn, Papborn? Yeah, yeah Papborn, Papborn. The first game was actually... That's really before he became Papborn. Yeah, was this uh, Golden Locks mullet Papborn? He kind of had, was a, he had a bit of a boy band vibe he about did have, so He did, he, 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 I'd say he was fond the, of an old pocket mirror. The, the first game was actually, we scored fairly early on the first game at Downey Mountain, and, and then they, to use your phrase that you like using, we got a bit of a tonking then. You know? <laughs> In fact, there was heavy-duty tonkage going on during the whole day. <laughs> yeah. but we got yeah. a, I actually bought a tonka truck on the way home. <laughs> but we got a penalty near the end. And Johnny Fulham scored it, was it, I think? I think Remember, it was Fulham, yeah. Kevin, who lives in Wales now. He couldn't look at it and he was kind of leaning on his shoulders. I can't watch, I can't watch. And the penalty went in and we all started screaming and he turned around, did he score? <laughs> the, 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 the replay Jesus. is there are games, I would always say in history, in Robert's history, that you wake up screaming at night about. There's the 6-4. Obviously, out in Santry, there's the 2 1 when we lost to um, to Sporting Fingal when we thought we'd blown the league. Yeah. And 4 0 in, in Milton. Really? Just is, this when, is this when they were irrelevant? Am I right? Well, no, no, no. By then. By then? They well, had, yeah, because drum, drums were gone five well, years at that five, stage. Okay. And balls were doing things like winning the league. Two little personal notes. Well, there's one personal note and one. Uh, Ashley Grimes basically got, a, got a, a transfer to Manchester United on the foot of that. Game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fairness, we just had to get rid of him, Martin. You know, <laughs> and um, I lost the job because of that game. Because mm. I'll tell you about now. This is don't worry. This won't put this you off. Guessing to do with your actual. No, this is a, this was a, a post leave. Taking notes here. Previous work, life. I was working in a post post school job. I was working in a, a burger joint in O'Connell Street called Burgerland. Uh, older, your older listeners will definitely. Burgerland. What yeah, is the building it, now? It's that. um. I think it's. It's, it's Burger King. I think now. Yeah, is it? Yeah, the, yeah, 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 on the corner. Up, 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 I think it's kind of bridge near. Foot Locker. 
No, it's not near the bridge. It's down near where um, the Irish Pesh used to be. Is. It's oh, kind okay. of halfway in there. I know the one, yeah. It was yeah, a yeah. fucking kip. People ate the food and it was even worse to walk in. Yeah. <laughs> but I was due in on duty at six o'clock on, on the, to, to closing time on the day of that match, you know, at the Beyonce. If I'd have gone in and someone come in, came in with a red and black scarf on, they would, they would have got a face full of chips. <laughs> so I went home. Yeah, punch someone in the face and go, do you I want had, fries with no that? Phone, <laughs> no phone at the time. So I basically went to bed, pulled the sheets over my head, came the next day, where were you? Oh, I was sick. Actually, I've I got my cards a couple of days later. And I didn't give a shit because I hated the job anyway. Like, yeah. well, my but, memory of that day actually was uh, coming home with Kevin Higgins. Yeah. Uh, and we got off the 28 bus at the, uh, in Edenmore. And there's a, there's a green in between the bus stop and where we lived. And I remember him, t- he just took his rover scarf off and threw it in the mud and danced on it. <laughs> that's how angry he that's, was. That's real frustration. Didn't say a word. It's funny, the, the goal that Ashley Gorham's got today. And of course, then he picks up the scarf and brings it home. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. And that's the classic of a goal, I believe. And years later, well, a few years later, a very good man of mine, Connell, who's a Bose fan, a lifelong Bose fan, and we first were friends. We talked about old Rovers Bowes games. He says, oh, were you there in Milltown? Oh, yeah, I was, yeah. What did you think of Ashley Go- Ashley's goal? Couldn't tell you. I was on a 48A at that stage, yeah. <laughs> Once we went 3 nil, good luck. Out the door. I oh, think I was similar. Horrible. With the that was a great ball side, to be fair, though. That yeah, they were, they were excellent, yeah. Big Bourne, or, or Jerry Roy was in that team as well, wasn't he, I think? We played in Dark Derby yeah, and, yeah, and all that, yeah. yeah. So the 27th of March, <clears throat> there was a time when, year after year, Shamrock Rovers and the resident club of Talca Park, Duncondra, were battling it out for the top honours as the, at the end as the end of the season approached. So times had changed dramatically, though, and the 76-77 season began to count down. The Hoops found themselves in a desperate bottom of the table fight with home farm. Goals from Tony Ward and Bernard McDonald. An own goal gave the Hoops a critical two points as they made small amount of leeway on Limerick and Albert Rovers with just two games left to play and this uh, tides in with the little spat that I had online with the Cork podcast about the origins of our club and the zombie, the zombification of Cork City and this would have been Albert Rovers so... I think what? it was Cork United. Cork United. Well, Cork. Albert Rovers became Cork Albert. Cork Albert. Then Cork United in the mid eighties. Mm. Yeah. yeah, they actually changed their name at half time during the game. <laughs> <laughs> you did that gag in the last one. I think, <laughs> yeah, still funny though. Still funny. Yeah. Tony Moore, by the way, Gar. That's a. Uh, is he from Limerick? A rugby player. Terenure. Terenure. He played for Limerick. Said, if if yeah. only Tony had been born in Sheriff Street. Tony, it would Tony have been is actually a, Rovers Rovers fan, a lifelong yeah. Rovers fan from yeah. a kid. He used to go to Milltown. The only reason he played rugby was he went to university down in Limerick. You know, and that's how mm. he started playing. He actually, his rugby career started after he played for Rovers and we sort of all had to wave goodbye to him. Then the mm. fecker signed for Limerick. Yeah, mm. The rat. <laughs> but he really stood out in that team because you could see like he, he was class. Apparently yeah. they played. He's similar size to Maradona. So he had that low centre of gravity. player for years. Really? He played really? Just to the he also, um, when Limerick played, when Limerick won the cup in 80, whatever year it was, 80, 81, 81, he was playing from the time, and they played Southampton in the cup in his cup, and apparently Laurie McManamy, who was the Southampton manager at the time, was very interested in signing, <laughs> and didn't know who he was, and kind of, well, he has this other sport that he plays, yeah. but he was a, he was a, a huge, uh, serious, he was a superstar. I didn't know. It would no, be, yeah. Second of April, Paul McGee's goal against Athlone Town in the this final, is it, this the is home it. game of the league campaign gave the Hoops full points. For the second week running and ensure the club wouldn't suffer ignominy of having to apply again for re-election to the league table as he moved up to fourth bottom in the table. Jimmy McGee's son, by the way. Don't know Jim, you know. Jimmy McGee's yeah, son. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. wrote that in the program recently. Poor um, chap. He developed motor neuron disease later in life. He passed away, and I think it was 2009. Yeah. So here we go. 63 Prof. 
paying customers. Bob is fascinated because he wants names. We know three of them. Two of them are in the room here. Jim Conroy is another. Uh, one of them was from Athlone. One was from Athlone, as we discovered. Donald, Donald, Kevin Higgins. Um, Sean McNulty was there, I think, because he came up to yeah. me and he kind of did. Barry Fowler was there. Were you one of the 63? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 We knew, knew exactly what he meant, yeah. I was but, talking to John about this. He said there should be a 50th reunion in 2027, <laughs> and we can call it our 1916 <laughs> G- GPO. But I was, I was sending the car before. Um, there, there, was, there were good reasons for the, for the small crowd. Didn't expect it to be up low, but first of all, it was a Saturday. Yeah, afternoon. The game kicked off at four o'clock. The Grand National was on at the same time. Right. It was a dead rubber essentially. So I thought a couple of hundred, but didn't expect sixty-three. And it's funny when you, yeah. I was at the game and Tottenham people, you at the game? Yeah. What was it like? Not great. What was the crowd like? Sixty-three. Really? How'd you? How's that? That's a weirdly specific figure. Yeah. How do you know? I, I counted them. Yeah. Counted them. <laughs> but it was something to do during the second half. Yeah. In fairness. You know. yeah. <laughs> How many do you have, Martin? 63, yeah. no, we forgot yeah. one. And you'd be well, shouting well, over, you, don't move. I, 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 I thought it was 52, and then a few people emerged from behind. Remember, I think they were in the bar or something like that, you know? Yeah, Jeez. That's grim. Yeah. What, that's what's Middletown like with 63 people? I mean, uh, what's it like it to watch a game? It could be like this a bit. It was just, there was, <laughs> I'd say there was about, the, the Lauren's share was in the old shed. There's about 30 was in the shed. Mm. So it was about just bits and bobs of people standing on the, the reserve terrace in front of the stand. There was nobody at the Gonzaga end or the Milltown Road end, really. But. Well, the, the thing that got struck me was the, the fact that we could walk around the ground. Well, we used to be like yeah, the second yeah. half, we went up to the, got into the stand. Yeah, just because we could. Yeah. You know? we, used to, we used to switch ends at matches all the time. Yeah, but know? but to be able to go onto the reserve yeah, terrace yeah, and go into yeah, the stand was, was, yeah. was uh, yeah. But that it, it was an indication of how low the club. Like the previous year, we might have applied for re-election, but actually that was that was a moment when you're thinking, Jesus, is this where we are? I mean, that's like, that's only six years after there were 22,000 people in Milltown when we played uh, Carl Kids. baffles me. Well, because the decline was gradual, did that make it less shocking? I mean, we're talking about going from 22,000 to 63. It wasn't we, like a we, smack in the mouth. We can't wrap like, our heads well, around that. Yeah. But, but even, even the season after, like the, the, say, the, the playoffs and the 72, 73, the crowds had really hemorrhaged at that stage. You know, like, I'd say... It's around 73, 74, a big game you might get maybe five or six thousand mm. if you're lucky. If you're lucky, yeah. I have a photo here. I know this. I know it's a podcast. People can't see this, but I quite like this photo. It's from 1971. So would this, would this be your vantage point? That's, now that's the old reserve chairs beside yeah. the main stand. Yeah. We would have been either behind that, the goal. That's the Hennessy stand. That's the Hennessy stand. See the kids there. at the back there. So mm. I think you were teenagers back in the 70s. Now we would have so. been over the other side of the shed. Yeah. Which or, or at the Milltown Road end. Or oh, the cool photo. Argentina, depending. Very cool. Yeah. Well, damn, yeah, Jim Connery, I told him that we'd be talking about this game and uh, he's going to send us an old voice now, like oh, he likes it. he does, yeah. And uh, I love how he summed up this, this day with the 63. He said, we were just existing. That is, it's grim. It really yeah. is. It's not what a word. We just existed. Fuck me. But still, I go on the title anyway. The Hoops home record through the That's season right, has been atrocious, winning just three after 13 games at home. But at least this time... They didn't have the dubious honour of finishing last in the table. Mm. and uh, So Sligo, that was their second title. And then they didn't win a third then until 2012 under Barraclough. And the manager of that Sligo team was a man named Billy Sinclair, mm. Scotsman. Yep. And he came out with uh, a biography in the 90s. And to this day, Gary, it's my, still my favourite title of any book in my well, collection. Prof, prof, and that is... 
Don't let the bastards grind you down. <laughs> and look at the photo. <laughs> look, look at the front of it. That's a fabulous That's looking bag. Although the strings of my harps, the, the Patsy McGowan one, is, uh, I actually bought that on, um, on eBay and I got into a little bit of a bidding war buying it and I'm pretty sure the, the, the person that was in the bidding war was Patsy McGowan trying to push up the price. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 100% probably was. It's signed and all, Prof here. Best wishes, Billy Sinclair, did you even know that? That's not my name. So oh, I thought he actually addressed to somebody. No, just but the, the Sligo team, he had like there was a, quite a few English and Scottish players in that team, yeah. wasn't there? Well, so they always had the tradition, tradition of, of that, British yeah. players, yeah. So but he says, uh, I would like to make a known that in no way I wish to insult or embarrass anyone regarding the title. Just sums up for me what life can all be about. If you think back to a particular time of despair or disappointment, it may echo your thoughts. Could be after getting the sack with no immediate job prospect, arguing with your boss, manager, or coach, being dropped from your team or even booked by the police or a traffic warden, maybe even death in the family. Can you have, have you feeling that you don't want to carry on? But if you dig deep into your innermost being, grit your teeth and tell yourself, I won't let this beat me. When you do this, then you're actually saying, I won't let the bastards grind me down. I like that. That's cool. It's come across quite a philosopher. Yeah. Yeah. You as an angry Scots <laughs> It's Scottish Damien Richardson. Um, so... 2nd of May, amid speculation concerning the future of Johnny Giles, who had stepped down as the manager of West Brom, Sean Thomas resigned his position. Shamrock Grover alluded to the fact that he had information that Giles was to be offered a job despite the denials of the Milltown director. So all sorts of skullduggery going on mm-hmm. at board level. And then 77-78 league position fourth, so a little bit of a better season. And you won the Tyler. This is the Tyler Blacksnake Cup, am I right? I think it was called it the was, Blacksmith. That was 79, called, wasn't it? Doesn't, doesn't Gaffney, Gaffney always offers his, his Tyler yeah. Cup for a ticket? Oh, every, every time. Every time, yeah. time he can't get a ticket. The Blacksmith Cup had stopped around the late 60s. There was a, a riot that arose. Yeah, a lot of trouble. Uh, Colin Ryan match and Daily Mount. I, I kind of made a half reference to it in the first show, uh, which was basically epic. Yeah. Jeez. There were stories of fellas getting taxis home to get hatchets and all this. Like okay, that. well, but, uh, but they, they kind of uh, decided that it wasn't a great. Uh, and also, the north went up in yeah, flames the, the so. troubles really kicked so off the flex, so the, those, for know? years in the 70s there was nothing and then uh, they brought along the Tyler Cup but the game was actually played a week after we won the, the FAI Cup in Milltown it was a Monday the Monday week after we won the Cup that's right so yeah, like we were just about to say the FAI Cup was won that year so the FAI Cup you won it and then you won the Tyler Cup not too long yeah. after yeah so a good two weeks on the piss. Have we skipped over 77 or over two? Oh, this is 77. So probably going to give us the cultural highlights of, of this year. By the way, Robbie Gaffney, I think he was dropped for the cup final. Oh, you think I, don't th- I don't think he has a cup medal. He has a Tyler cup medal. You don't get a cup of dropped right as well there, back yeah. then? I think he might be right there. Oh, 12th no. man. Um, yeah, 1977. Uh, the Muppet Show. Saturday Night Fever mm. becomes a cultural phenomenon. Greece, rumours by Fleetwood Mac. We've adopted that one, haven't we? Yes, we certainly have. Uh, Hotel California. Yes, sir, I can boogie. We've also stolen that one off balls here and there. Uh, Beatlemania musical. The Ramones. Kiss become the most popular band in America. For John, a, I could imagine you in the time. Kiss makeup with the tongue and the, the wig. No? <laughs> Not your thing? Oh, we no, were. I think it's more the Ramones. More, <laughs> definitely the punk. We have Elvis Presley's final performance in Indiana before his death. Uh, Leonard Skinner's plane crash. Uh, the Police and the Blades performed. Oh. Yeah, the last can tell us about the Blades. Uh, Dancing in the Moonlight, Heroes, and Love is in the Air were all in the charts. There you go. 
Oh, there we go. So the Blades were formed in 1977. Any new Blades stories? We would have seen them early doors, but they would, that would have been 78, 79. Yeah, I know, probably. Yeah. Well, Paul is kind of married to a Rovers royalty anyway, Luke Cow, and he's a Rovers connection, but um, he's. And they're from Raytown. He's from Ring's End, you know, and, um, and he, he claims to be a, a Rovers fan, you know, but a uh, good band. Um, got to know them a little bit when they were playing. And you see them, and they used to play in a place called the Magnet in Pier Street, and um, they used to do a Saturday night residency there in, the, in about 1980, which became very popular and very good. But they, funny enough, they did, um, they used to do alternating um, headline shows in the Bag of Inn. They do one Friday and some band oh, called yeah. U2, I think. Did the other one I'm not sure how that Whatever happened to them, yeah. No, I, I do remember, actually, one of the bands I was in, we, we played with the blades in a benefit for the Dunstore Strikers. Right, yeah. You strike me as a drummer, John. Uh, oh, bassist, no. isn't it? Bassist, yeah. No, no, I'm actually one of Farland's great songwriters. Yeah. <laughs> you were originally a bassist. Mm, initially, yeah. yeah. I'm wearing some of those tunes I call out, I say your fandom, as a barman, uh, bar manager by trade. Um, no. Rowdy. No. Uh, Vince from Motor. No. Uh, well, college lecturer. I'm trying to gauge yeah. his reactions. National Library of Ireland coordinator. Yeah, none of them now. Yeah. <laughs> no, sure. Actually, I used to. Doesn't remind me that ad. What's he going to be twenty years from now? <laughs> I wonder how uh, Robbie Foy. Oh, I don't know. Remember Robbie Foy's name popping up again? Myself, Robbie, and two other gentlemen uh, ran the first ever house music club in Dublin. Correct. In the house late music. 80s. Yeah, it's yeah. called Voodoo and McGonagall's. Mm-hmm. We used to bring DJs over from London all the time. But that was kind of when I was. Car, so the people claimed otherwise. Which wasn't National Library or whatever it is, like uh, we have a um, one of one of our one of the guys that listen to the show, Gage. He would have been involved in the nineties in yeah. bringing all well, those bands over. He would we used been, to bring yeah. we brought guys like uh, Soul to Soul over. Um, Norman Norman Jay. Norman Jay's top of the many uh, tricks. Cold cold many, yeah. yeah, so uh, the Kill coins pulled off a massive coup by enticing Johnny Giles to return home from the English League and take up the role of player-manager at Milltown, even though Louis Kilcoyne had emphatically denied at the time that the resignation of Sean Thomas, that Giles has been associated with manager job at Milltown. So this must have been huge news, am I right? It was beyond huge. John was, um, saying, um, John was kind of selling programmes and kind of had a little bit of an in on the club and knew what was going on, and he told us that this was happening and we just couldn't dare to dream that. But like, Johnny Giles was coming, he's going to bring players from the first division. So how, well, how old was Johnny Giles when he took over and how Could much? Been 36, I'd say. So he was, did he play, did he ever play? Oh, oh yeah, sure. he, oh, yeah he was player manager. He was player manager of Ireland at the time. Yeah. So he double jobbed on mm. that. Yeah. Yeah. And before he how did the fans but, feel about that? But before That's he came fine. to Rovers, he was player manager at, at West Brom. West Brom yeah. he, would have, he would have played in the English first division uh, mm. like months earlier. Yeah, for West Brom days, isn't it? You know, never when you think either. about it, like West Brom finished seventh in 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 the, uh, the fourth division. And the famously, there was a and, and then, then he comes over and, and comes to Rovers. Like you, you can't even think of a comparison. That's now. that's because, what I'm because to gauge here. we don't we don't even have players at that level. There, there was a game at the Hawthorns that year <laughs> when he was player manager, yeah. and they beat Man United four 0 and he got actually ten out of ten in the paper next day in the ratings. You know, he destroyed them almost single-handedly. Remember that game? Who, yeah. who negotiated this deal? I want to meet if they're still around. Well, well, he's Louis' brother-in-law. Yeah, so, it's yeah. family yeah. situation there. Yes, there you go. It always helps, you know. So twenty-first of it was on the front life. cover of the Irish Times. I just remember that. Like that was a, it was massive. Yeah, yeah. And Johnny Jones wasn't even a president. Yeah. 
Let's move on, Gar. <laughs> 21st of July, we're not going to delve into this. Johnny Joes was unveiled as the new manager of Shamrock Rovers, so nepotism was alive and well even back then. Keep it in the fan. Yeah, Speaking yeah. at the press conference, which was held to make the announcement, Joyles laid out his vision of making the hoops a power in football once again, and as using the experience he gained in a 20-year career in the English league to introduce a professional setup in Milltown. So Joe's appointment came just three weeks before the first competitive game of the season was due to be played, and he had the unenviable task of building a team before then. But soon Irish internationals Ray Tracy and Eamon Dunphy were to throw their lot in with Giles, put pen to paper for the hoops. So um, the first two inserts of Con- the, uh, we have the first two inserts with Con Murphy reading from the book who stole our game. Quotes from John Giles, Eamon Dunphy and Frank Gavin. So here is Con on the arrival of Giles at Milltown. Who stole our game? The Fall and Fall of Irish Soccer by Dara Whelan. Published in 2006. Part 3, Chapter 1, Changing of the Guard, John Giles and the Shamrock Rovers' Dream. I want to see Irish football standing on its own feet to set standards to be followed by others rather than for us to be led. We shouldn't worry about England but set our own standards at League of Ireland and international level. We must entice young boys to stay at home and create something worthwhile here. That was John Giles stating his case and his ambition after the announcement in June 1977 that he was taking charge of Shamrock Rovers. That was in an interview with Vincent Brown for McGill magazine in December 1977. Giles stated boldly, Ultimately, I want to win the European Cup with Shamrock Rovers. This may sound fantastic, but when you consider the amount of football talent there is, it isn't all that outrageous an ambition. So here it was, at last. This was the greatest opportunity for Irish football to get back on track and regain its place of honour. John Giles, Ireland's greatest ever player and one of Europe's best midfielders, a man who was central to Leeds United's revival and subsequent dominance of English and European football, was coming home after 21 years. And he had a plan of action. Giles was a green youngster when he left Dublin, but even then he was a superstar among schoolboy footballers. He joined Manchester United under Matt Busby and broke into its stellar first team at the age of 17. However, Giles' single-minded determination, which was to mark him out throughout his career, led to his departure from Old Trafford after a disagreement with Busby. United's loss was Leeds' gain. Busby would come to rue his decision to let Giles go. Two English League titles, two FA Cups, two Fairs Cups and one League Cup later, Giles had done it all and won it all in the game. By 1977, he'd have enough of English soccer. A successful first season as manager at West Brom had taught him that the club's owners were always going to be in charge. For a man who was a perfectionist and who wanted full control of footballing matters, this state of affairs was never going to work out. He'd been managing the Irish team for the past four years and had built up a relatively successful team. Now, however, more than one challenge lay before him and he was eager to grasp the opportunity to tackle it. I never liked management and that was the reason I came home. After we got promotion at West Brom, the first board meeting with the directors didn't sound good. I thought at that point that they'd say, well done, what do you want? But they were sort of a bit cribby and I got the attitude that no matter how well you did as a manager, you are an employee. And that was it. You are an employee. 
they were going to do as they liked. I said to the chairman, I wasn't happy about it. And he said that wherever you go in football, you get the same problems. In other words, you have to put up with that. But at the time, Louis Kilcoyne was married to my sister. And Louis asked me to come back to Rovers and put an option of 50% on it. I thought at the time, the only way to do the job and to have control of what you are doing is to be a part owner. Like a lot of people do in their own businesses, and that's why I decided to come home. Giles was returning home for good, and he wanted to instil the highest of standards, have the best coaching and the finest facilities to bring the League of Ireland up off its knees. It presented the league with a golden opportunity to shake off its mediocrity of the past 20 years and actively look to a better future, a chance to restore some pride, a plan to bring the crowds back and, most importantly, the possibility of proving to Irish lads that England wasn't necessarily the holy grail of their ambitions. It was nothing short of a revolution. John and I would talk about it because we were brothers-in-law, explains Louis Kilcoyne. And we would talk about it regularly. Mutually, it seemed like a good idea for John to come back and invest in the dream of what Rovers might achieve. I think the attraction for him was similar to ours in that we might be able to upgrade football in Ireland and particularly at Rovers. And we agreed to establish a full-time policy and the concept was obviously very exciting. The dream was to develop Glenmalure Park and make it a 12,000 all-seater. But the financing of that was serious and it was going to take some time. It wasn't going to be built or redeveloped in a year. It would have to take its course. Giles was clear on what he wanted to achieve and what he needed to achieve. Louis Kilcoyne recalls his determination. Even Glen Malure was a jaded old shithole which we attempted to upgrade and one of John's first demands was that we had a better playing pitch. And his quote at the time was, It's hard enough to play football, but at a minimum, let's have a decent surface. Because when he came over here, we were probably guilty of not having the pitch up to standard. And he was the spur to reinvigorate and reinvent us. Eamon Dunphy was one of Giles' first appointments and he helped coach the youth team and contributed to the vision of what they could do. We thought we would be a big club. We said to ourselves, if we can lay down the standards of Milltown and build on it over a five to ten year period, which was the project, then Grant, it can work. Fran Gavin, now General Secretary of the Professional Footballers Association of Ireland, played in the League of Ireland for over 15 years. At this time, however, in the late 1970s, he was a promising young centre-half at Derby County, but he wanted to come home. I remember sitting in the office with John Giles and Eamon Dunphy and Ray Tracy. They explained to me what their plans were and that there would be a European League and there would be a representative from Dublin and it was going to be Shamrock Rovers. That's what they were going to do and their intention was right. We had a full-time professional set-up we had a lot of young players there at the time. It was the only full-time professional setup in the league. Rovers were geared to absolute professionalism with John Giles, and that was the way he worked. The facilities were very good. We trained in Belfield. Eamon Dunphy was an excellent coach. And there's no doubt about it. You had John Giles, who was highly regarded on the international scene from his days at Leeds and West Brom. It was good as a purist of football. I would have been 18 or 19 and it was ideal. 
they tried to teach you the right things to do, what they considered you should do with the ball. You passed the ball and built up slowly. And it was patient and it was good football. It was away from this kick and rush stuff. And that was good if you felt comfortable with the ball at your feet. John Giles went for those sort of players. But if you didn't, you were lost. They even sent us to college once a week. We went to Sun Drive and that was a, an idea they had to get a more rounded player. We did all sorts of stuff. We actually did cooking. We did a bit of French, some civics. It was once a week. And they had the idea that they wanted you to be a more rounded player and to educate the young players. It was compulsory at Rovers, whereas in England, they said you could go if you wanted to. It wasn't an issue forcing you to go or even encouraging you, but it was compulsory with Rovers for all the full-time players, the younger lads particularly. It was an afternoon a week, three hours a week. We'd all go out and do whatever was on at the time, and it was very interesting that they could see that you had to work not only on physical fitness, but on this overall approach. It was more of a wholesome approach. They were more interested in the rounded footballer. After all the hype and preparation, the opening game of the 1977-78 season was surrounded by high expectations and hopes for Rovers. The game was away to the cup holders Dundalk up in Oriel Park. The crowds came to Oriel that day, curious to see what this Rovers team would be like. They duly won 1-0, but to many the manner of their victory was unconvincing. The independent went straight to the point. The eagerly awaited meeting of the new-look Shamrock Rovers and FAI Cup winners Dundalk brought the expected big attendance which paid £2,000 at the Styles to Oriel Park last night. But Rovers didn't show enough to justify the widely held belief that they'll sweep the decks this year. The knives were out already for Giles and his Rovers team. So that was Con, prof, um, friend of the show. Mm, more bedtime readings by Con. More bedtime stories from Con. Yeah. The first thing that struck me was, um, I actually can't remember if it was part one or part two, but Giles is talking about the media reaction to a five-year plan. And he's saying, I never said I had a five-year plan to win the European Cup. And I, I immediately started drawing parallels to Brazzer about, even now you hear, oh, I remember Roberts came in but with their five-year plan and their project. The project was the big one. I don't think Brazzer ever used those words. The fans did. I think we, our joke was, just give us the European Cup now and yeah. save the five years, you know. I think it might, we might have had something to do with that with the, yeah. with the Rollstone project. Well, the thing is, fake news didn't begin with Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> no, certainly not. <laughs> But would you draw parallels to even what Giles was trying to do 50 years ago to what we have done now at the Academy? Was Giles just Very so far ahead of his time oh, yeah. Yeah. with what he was trying to do? But the thing is, anyone who thought about it at all would have come to the same conclusions. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you turn a really shit league into a, 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 a competitive... Slightly less shit league. Yeah, look at what Rovers have done in recent years, and it's obvious that that was the thing to do. But the same begrudgery exists because the thing about it is, it's not so much that they're getting at us that we're making them look bad. Mm. Yeah, and like we're doing the right thing, and like Giles did the right thing. We're doing the right thing now at the academy. But the Giles thing was kind of like it's like the guy in the job who's working hard that uh, you'll be kept. That's the urge attitude. Yeah. Now like, you can argue all you want, and people could say, look, we were barely keeping clubs go, and to come round and tell us we could barely pay the players, and to tell us that we should be upgrading our pitches and everything. And that's fine, but don't slag us off when we're doing it. Mm, we're trying yeah. to lift everybody, not just Rovers. Well, especially yeah. Rovers, but... But that's it. I mean, the, 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 I remember going down to Flower Lodge when I was about 12 or 13. And 
admired in the pitch because it was full of daisies. <laughs> it was only when I got a bit That's older. And I'm thinking, you know, there shouldn't have been a daisy on the pitch. <laughs> and, but that, that was the, how stagnant the whole thing was. Some, I think there were sunflowers on that pitch as well. <laughs> we two new clubs as well, Galway Rovers and Thurles Town. Thurles. What's the pronunciation there? Thurles. Thurles. Um, Tell the story about the first time you went to Thurles away. Oh yeah, yeah. That sixteen was, leagues in the team, or sixteen clubs in the league mm. now. So tell us about Torles Town. I just remember the first time we played down there. Uh, no one knew where the ground was, and we came up to Sample Stadium. <laughs> we were all going, "Fucking hell! Look at this!" It was the gas stadium, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, the driver stopped, and it bloke, "No, no, no! We see that the, the, the old grey home the stadium there. <laughs> now Ramshackle play." Oh, we're going, "Yeah, that's a bit more like it." You know? <laughs> it's literally across the road. Yeah. Isn't it? Oh, Twenty eighth of August, the interest that the arrival of Johnny Giles at Milltown was having at the club brought about an immediate change and a huge travelling support made the journey to Dundalk. It wouldn't be like Rovers to be fickle, would it? And uh, for the Rovers game, at a, first Rovers game, Rovers game of the season one 0 by Rovers. So in a sense, it was fitting that amid so much radical change, the club um, it was an old hand, Mick Leach. There's, a, little, there's a story about that. that we, were, goal. we could not wait for the fixtures to come out to find out who our first game was. And I remember John wrote a great article about this in the old um, Glen Gazette. But, uh, but we basically the fixtures came out and we were away to Dundalk. We thought, that's okay, we can, it's doable. There's a tr- we can get a train there. Like it was Finn Harps, so we would have been screwed. There were no buses, no trains. But unfortunately, our ma were playing in the All Ireland semi final on the same day. So they so to delay the game, the game was kicking off at seven o'clock. I thought, well, okay, we get a train up, train back. The last train was coming back at eight o'clock. So we basically, there were four of us who went to the game together and three of us decided to go up. Kevo was just a coward, even now, because we had no way of getting back. But we, we were young and foolish. We, we were 18. I'll, I'll be honest with you, it was John's first game as manager. I was quite prepared That's to it. walk you had to be back. there. Yeah. Yeah. had to. So we went up, we won one there. The memory I have, and John had this memory as well, at the, at the end of the game, in the, in the stand in Dundalk, in Oriel, a, a rather fairly refreshed Rovers fan <laughs> made his way down. The good old days are here again, <laughs> hallelujah. And we were kind of, that man is correct. Yeah, yeah. We were basically, wait, are we even having a league? So anyway, we went outside and we thought, who the fuck are we going to get home? Even on a night like that, so, there were problems. So, so we approached this guy who we knew slightly, and he was kind of getting this other guy. And he says, This other guy was actually uh, quite a well known stand up comedian at the time. I won't mention his name because he's still alive. And in fact, he was on um, he was on a program on uh, TV3 a couple of years ago. So, But he was nice enough to give us a lift, yeah. Trouble was, he was a stand-up comedian, so he started doing his act a little bit in the car, and as you can imagine what a 70s stand-up comedian was like, okay. we, were, we were three yeah. kind of fairly left-wing lads in the back, and we were sort of smiling, that's yeah. very good, yeah, that's but a we really weren't racist either, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he was, he, he was a nice enough guy to give us the lift, Ah, yeah. but we had to put it to laugh at his bloody awful jokes and everything, but we got the lift back, and we won my nail, and happy days. There you, there you go. go. September 24th, Stevie Linex made his debut for the Hoops. <sighs> Legendary Linex. That, that's the third, that's the third goal. Scored um, on his debut in the That's the third win. significant Mick Leach goal. He had three significant goals. So he had the Waterford goal, the League Cup goal, and that one. And we thought, that's the dawning of a new era. Yeah. wasn't, but we didn't False know that. False dawn. 2nd October, Gordon Stevie Linex sold his uh, FAI Cup medal, remember that? He yeah, did he keep the profits though? Was there no charity involved, am I right? I think the club tried enough? to buy it, didn't they? Yeah. They did, yeah. Both think they weren't did, successful. Yeah. 2nd of October, Gordon Banks, the man who kept golf for England in 1966 World Cup final, was signed by St. Pat's 
This is a one-eyed man, by the way, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it was just, a one-off game. The one-off game and a <laughs> one-eyed man. fans kept mentioning. Just one game. game and a former Leicester Stoke and Stoke City. Netmore gave a superb performance in the scoreless draw. Played before the biggest crowd seen at Inchicore venue from He made a save years. from Eamon Dunphy in that game, which was one of the greatest saves I've ever... No, I honestly think the save he made against Pelle is one of the most overrated saves ever. Yeah. They always tell the story about he was going to one side of the goal. He wasn't. He was on the way over and he managed to scramble them. <laughs> it was a good save. The one against... Dying to get that out, wasn't he? <laughs> to, oh, yeah. Oh, tell you. Don't, don't tell me about Gordon Banks. But the, the game, we went behind the goal. Uh, and Eamon Dunphy will never hit a, a better volley in his life. It was a screamer. And Top corner know, job. Know, back. Top corner job. And he just got, look, this is a one-eyed guy. The Roberts fans, they came, came out and started shouting, oh, yeah, Gordon, and all this. Like, yeah. <laughs> Garden, show us your oil. Lloyd, so I don't, do you know what? He laughed and he, he was brilliant. Yeah, he, he pretended to take the, the oil. And, oh, and, yeah, and he basically gave it. He was, he was an absolute pro. He was great. You know? But that was our first defeat that year. Yeah. yeah. But it, it, again, this kind of shows you the, the state the league was in. Like, imagine, oh, we're playing Rovers next week. Anyone got a phone number for Gordon Banks? We get him over. <laughs> yeah, 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 we need to keep a clean sheet. I mean, it's real end of pair stuff, you know. Westwood, yeah. <laughs> Bring you in for one game. 9th of October, record gate receipts, £3,000, 35. Uh, we were recorded at Milltown, so the visit of the reigning league champions, Sligo Rovers, so oh, big, great, big gates. Great Ray Tracy winner in that game. Represent, uh, eight and a half thousand. it'd been a long time since Milltown has seen such a crowd, so a brace, like you said, Martin, from Ray Tracy, gave hoops the full points. So, 12th of October, after an absence of four and a half years, a League of Ireland player appeared for Ireland at international level. So, John Giles appeared in the team against Bulgaria. Woke up qualifying game. Be, he picked, down he picked himself, basically. Yeah. He picked, yeah. There might be a good time here to... There's a great Ray Tracy story, which I have to tell. And um, there was a game down the country. I won't say whereabouts in the country it was, because it's kind of part of the, of the punchline. But after the game, we were going to get the train, and we were set about by the local toughs, shall we say. <laughs> and we were getting, it wasn't very Skin serious, boys. but we were getting knocked about a bit. And next minute, this bus pulls up. It was the team bus, and Rayo jumps off the bus, and basically starts getting involved, shall we say. Yeah. Now, that, that's why he became known as now, the Punch the, and now, Judy the, man. Now, the, thing, now, the thing about it was, the story grew over the years. It, it, I kind of like he ran them or something like that. But then I got, oh, you had a baseball bat. It was nearly by the mid 80s, he had a gun or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But we used to tell that story and people. Kung oh, Fu yeah. expert. Yeah, three of them never walked again. But there was a guy who was going to Rovers in the mid 90s called uh, Paul Casey. He was friends with us. He used to write for Hoops Upside Your Head with the rest of us. And we used to tell him all these. He was a bit younger. And we used to tell him all these stories. And he, he enjoyed the book. He never believed the one about Tracy. I was like, oh yeah, we were down in, we were down in Limerick and Tracy got up, we got stuck in, he's a legend. Everything. Yeah, man, that really happened, didn't it? So anyway, Tracy had became manager in the 90s when we were in the RDS and he came over to the Horsha house to talk to fans, something he did once, he never did it again. So we were allowed to ask many questions and all that. So Paul turns around and says, hey Ray, your man there says you hopped into a scrap down in Limerick. Is that true? I said, no, that's not true. And I thought, you're killing me here, man. You're making a lawyer with me. And Paul turns out to be a big grin in his face, and Ray goes, No, I was actually in Waterford. <laughs> so, you know what? Ray was, you know, he managed a great Rovers team. He scored a winner in the cup final, you know. He's also the only League of Ireland player to have a, a top 20 hit single as a League of Ireland player. So, yeah, do you know what, you Ray? Go. You're a legend. I it's a new one. Ray is Use that song on YouTube. <laughs> Punch and Judy, man. Punch and Judy, man, yeah. There you go. I think you might have to go into the dark web to get that. <laughs> the dark web, yeah. <laughs> Foiled at, at the end British Columbia. 
October 23rd, the promising former Stella Marida's schoolboy player Pierce O'Leary made his league debut at home against Stratley United and the 30th October, Giles took his unbeaten hoops team to Daly Mount for the eagerly away clash of balls and came down to earth with a bang. The Gypsies came out on top of the 3-0 win. The league was now one toward done and the hoops were lying in 7th place but still just 4 points behind the leaders. Finn Harps, 3-0 spanking at Daly Mount Park. Mm-hmm. Remember that one? Yeah. yeah. It wasn't. It was actually a, a really good game. Yeah. Just happened to balls got 3 goals. They were good so good. 13th November, Dave Irving, a recent acquisition oh, from geez. Fort Lauderdale in the United Fort States. Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale scored a hat trick in a historic league game, played against Galway Rovers at Terryland Park. So the real Rovers won the game 4 1. Ray Tracy getting the other hoops goal. What was he like? Dave Irving was a little bit of a late. He wasn't there that long, but he's one of these guys. He'd score two goals and get sent off for punching someone. So he, <laughs> yeah. he was a hero. Yeah. Funny enough, George Best played with him in America and Best really rated him. Really? Really, really rated him. Yeah. He's an American guy, was he? No, Scottish. Scottish, Scottish yeah. yeah. But tough. Very skillful. A yeah. bit like Ray Tracy in that regard. Yeah. You know, sort of bulldoggy type. Yeah, bulldoggy but type. Loved by, the, loved by the lads in the shed and that, yeah. 19th the March, a crowd of 9,000 paid into the through the turnstiles at Glenmore Park for the visit of league leaders' bowls. But the scoreless draw that followed favoured the Northsiders more so than the hoops, and they'd fallen back into third place, four points behind bowls. So the 5th of April 1978, Noel Sinnott made his international debut when Ireland played Turkey. Caught up with Noel there recently, actually had him in the programme for Snapchat and uh, he brought him and uh, stepson and brother I think to the game with the last, what was it, uh, not used to the previous one, Dundalk. Yes, Dundalk. Um, so he had a great time, Ca- caught up with uh, Noel Larkin who was home from Australia. Yeah, How so was Noel? Noel wouldn't say it wasn't, he wasn't well for a while or something, was he, I think, was he? Um, yeah. No, didn't mention any yeah. any in this He was he was had a bit mm. of a, a bit of a head no, 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 um, the hoops reached the semi-final stages of the FAI Cup for the first time since 1969 and met a traditional rival. It was Waterford also bid for a place in the final. Sid Wallace gave the Blues oh, yes. the lead two minutes in, and then the Sydney hoops replied. Mark Megan and Stevie Linex to qualify for the final. We kind of need to, to, to look at the 78 run in, in its entirety. Like it was, um, you could actually have a whole show about that run. And in fact, the least interesting game was the final. Yeah, it was, it was epic. The first game against was against Whitefield Harps. It was the coldest day in Donegal since the war or something like that. And it was, <laughs> it was just, and it was the first, it was just remember, it was the first game I remember that we, we heard, we got a bus up and there was a guy. I think about I've heard the stories, Cracker. Um, there was a guy who was running the bus and we used to he was a fireman or something like that you know the guy I mean don't you yeah. but you'd have to go up to Milltown at 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning to get the tickets for the bus and the tickets for the match and like ticks now on the ground you're coming from sort of the north side to beat this chap at 9 o'clock outside Milltown but um, but we ran the bus we ran the bus up and it was the days when it was squaddies getting on with fucking machine guns at, at the bar and some EJ down the back so it's go bang and we were all going and next time all the guns go up, you know, we are going to shoot the bastard. Yeah. But, um, it was just, a, it was, just remember, you might remember, there was a little guy in front of us and he was just giving a joy stick all the way through the game. You know, and your little bollocks fuck off back thing, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I was really snowy there, but your man slipped. Just slipped right down the front of the tent. <laughs> and we just fell in the place laughing. But, Neil old draw, back to Milltown the following week. We're two one down. The game Classic is over. Replay. We're walking out. We're, and we see a few young uh, Phil Harris mm-hmm. lads. Just 
best of luck in the rest of the tournament, lads. Blah blah blah. This is injury time, isn't it? Then back to off. It was one all. It was a two off. Yeah, mm. we're back in it. Oh, straight back in, and then we barely seen the kick off. We went three two up. Yeah, I remember reading that. And you're kind of thinking yeah. name on the trophy. Yeah. yeah, I remember hearing that everyone was nearly on the bus, and then they hear about the goal, and it's like right back down the bus. <laughs> yeah. into the ground again. At the top of the yeah. steps in Milton, we were literally about to go down the steps, and we just had to do the last look. You know? Yeah, and it was the other. It was, it was in the Gonzaga, end, I think. It was, the, was the, Gonzaga, end, yeah. and it just went back in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 25th of April, the curtain came down on the league campaign. A scoreless draw against Home Farm. Talca Park at the Hoops finished in joint third place with Drada so the highest finishing spot that Rovers managed since 70-71 and the 30th of April as on so many occasions before the weather wasn't kind to the teams FAI Cup final day but a very muddied Shamrock Rovers celebrated on the pitch and Danny Melt as referee John Carpenter's controversial penalty decision resulted in the only goal of the game which Ray Tracy converted so Sligo were not only upset over the penalty decision but also the amount of time that Carpenter added on the first half which the penalty was awarded Carpenter explained to the press afterwards that the unusual amount of time added on in the first half became necessary as a direct result of time delay by Damon Dunphy when he's taking throw in so ref spoke to the media then yeah oh yeah well John Carpenter spoke to the media then Mm. there was actually Sligo County Council on the the Monday morning uh, a vote, of, a vote of no confidence in John Carpenter, a vote of censure. They lost their reason about that game. Yeah. And they still continue to lose their reason. That's the one where we always talk about, isn't it? The, That's the one yeah. someone ends up talking about in the pub. Well, there's, there's one. Still Moonies. Yeah, the, the, hoops, yeah. uh, the hoops bus, uh, when we ran them, we would have the, uh, was it a penalty draw? So you would basically each put a quid in, and the first person that was asked, was it a penalty? Shouts. You so it so we'd be in the bar across the road, and they'd be chatting away, and Big Deck go, over here, he said it. <laughs> <laughs> and the ironic thing is that Rovers fans hated John Carpenter. We yeah. always felt he had an interest. He us too. Yeah, it might have had something to do with his car being set on Just fire. Just to go back a little bit, the semi-final um, <laughs> can, can only be really considered as part of a two-part story. As, oh, as you semi-final. If you look at it as a little else. mini-series, and the part one is uh, we go 1-0 down to Sid. Sid Wallace, now let's talk to Sid Wallace for a second. Sid was... Um, he was an English gentleman. He, he, he redefined the term journeyman, but he scored a lot of goals. I don't know where he's from. I think he's a Yorkshire man or something like that. But there was always, he always had something to say for himself, and he scored against Rovers. I think we got the finger and all mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he actually scored in the shed end, which is where the Rovers. And the, the Rovers we won the game too. And the song was Sydney, Sydney, what's the score? And boy, was he pissed off. But that's the first part of the story, yeah. Um, the, the cup final itself was, it was completely climax, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but the rain didn't help, yeah. and the nine million points beforehand. <laughs> um, if you remember, we went up to the Wexford Inn to see Gypsy Lacey. Yeah, there's there's a story I have to tell. Um, it's possibly my favorite, one of my favorite stories. When two of us are involved, so we didn't know if there was any celebration for winning the cup, but we heard there was something up in the Hoops Club uh, up in Milltown. Yeah, right. and the fans weren't invited, but we had to be there. You know. So we basically made our way out on the Sunday night too. So we were about 18. I was 19, John was 18. Put on the toy and everything. Made a, we just, we just wanted to win the celebrate team. Fuck off. They wouldn't let us in. No, you're not coming in here. You're not players. Oh, but no, you're not coming in. End of. Look, we'll pay. No. Fuck, what do we do? So we're standing there. And let's make this figure comes in through the gate built in. Super Stevie. Line. Say, oh, yeah, Stevie. Great, great. Oh, thanks, lads. Thanks, lads. Yeah. Come on, we'll go in. Yeah. Not only would they not let us in, they wouldn't let him in because he was with <laughs> us. Because <laughs> they thought he was another fucking chancer. You know? so, he he yeah. made the goal, he got done for the penalty. Yeah, of course he is, yeah, get out. The and obviously there wouldn't have been too many people from 
with Birmingham accents who support Rovers. But we end up at the back of the club trying to shove Steve Lornex through a window into Jack's to get him. <laughs> I'm thinking, bit to the left, lads. Four hours ago, this guy was holding up a trophy, celebrate, and we were pushing him into a window with Jack's mm. there. He couldn't get in. So we went around the front again, and next minute half the half the squad came in. Steve, yeah, and we oh, were you with them? No, fucked out again. So at least <laughs> at least he got in at the yeah. end. And anyway. well, we got the message in the end, didn't yeah, we? Just went yeah. home. Yeah, because uh, we did. We didn't mention Steve's goal against Dundalk <laughs> in the in the quarterfinals. Wasn't the quarterfinals? Yeah. No. Well, yeah, the quarters. Yeah. Was that a special in, one? Oh, great, great, great goal. Oh, God, he must. Well, the greatest goal he ever got was against Cork Celtic in a league match. It was kind of he picked up the ball just outside air penalty area and did one of those the old classic phrase Maisie dribble he Maisie beat every dribble. single one of the opponents <laughs> and I think rounded the keeper King just popped it in and it was just King not one of those guys though like he wasn't at Rovers a terribly long time but, but he left an indelible mark yeah uh, I don't want to steal your thunder here Martin but you were mentioning the Herald report of the 78 game Jim Conroy sent me a picture here it's kind of hard to read the whole thing but yeah. what's what, what's the best line from it from um, about, about Carpenter. <laughs> the whole no, it, it, it was about it was a basically the list of the windows that were put in in, in Berkeley Road. It just it goes on forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it, it described the Rovers fans as um, uh, as storm trooping down the road, which, which, all, I didn't, which I didn't know was a very. Uh, at least they didn't use the term crystal offensive. But, <laughs> but Louis, Louis was quoted. And it's about something about well, just because some kids wear green and white, that's nothing to do with me. What do what do you want me to do? And then said, so well, a few, uh, the few, the shopkeepers were concerned. What do I care what a few shopkeepers think? Like, <laughs> yeah. Great PR, look at it. But apparently there was a local uh, government meeting in Sligo. Yeah, that's after funny. the game, and uh, Mr. Carpenter was lampooned, and he was accused of the greatest act of betrayal since Judas. Wow, robbing Sligo of the game and victimising the final losers. That's a tattoo if there ever was one. There's a tattoo of that somewhere in Sligo. Some boot boys. Alan O'Neill made a great save in that game. And they go on about they they hammered us. They did no such thing. But Alan did make a really good uh, sort of match saving save in it. But it was just a bad game. But it was a penalty. It was was a penalty, yeah. He basically pushed. Second of May, Ray Tracy got the hoops off to a win start in the new Tyler All-Ireland Cup when he scored the only goal of the game against Glen Avon. Oh, so the Tyler Cup is only Milton. beginning now. Yeah, so that's the only yeah, beginning. Yeah. Oh, At the end, of the, it, it was actually after the Cup was over. There was, yeah. Funny if we played Finn Harps in the final, the All-Ireland Cup, mm. and we ended up playing there was I think the three semi-finals the first year were all from the League of Ireland. So the, the Irish teams were just way below, were they? Um, Even then? I don't know. Well, I wouldn't have been, been, been a big, a big gap. I don't yeah. think they were that pushed about it, really. Mm. Was it like, yeah. Uh, 17th of May Steve Linex scored the only goal of the game to give the Hoops victory against Finn Harps in the Tyler All-Ireland Cup final at Milltown the Hoops had beaten Drotty United in the semi-final and Johnny Giles was presented with the Soccer Riders Personality of the Year and uh, he took up the offer of going to the Philadelphia Fury for the summer months I found this fascinating yeah. what was that about? making a few quid that's it was there any reaction to Giles he's already double jobbing in Ireland and now he's Gone off to Philadelphia. We weren't, we weren't mental about it, but we kind of knew what he was doing. But he used to bring like a few of the players would go over on him as well. Like we were just saying, Pierce O'Leary would go over. Maybe took Emma Greg from Ball. Steve Linex would be there. Uh, was no one saying that? Did no one say that? I can't. I don't think so. But it was just an odd situation. But you know, wasn't there an agreement with the Whitecaps, the Vancouver Whitecaps, with Rovers players that they would go abroad as well? At one stage, not maybe not the seventies, but somewhere along the line. Giles starts going over there, yeah. then doesn't he? 
So the 78-79 season, position fifth, so not much of an improvement. But runners-up in the League Cup, Leinster Senior Cup, and the LFA President's Cup. So Prof hit us with the music. Oh, the music, 1978. Duran Duran are formed. Van Halen debuts with a self-titled album. Uh, Eddie Van Halen introduces, introduces a powerful new sound and technique to the world, while David Lee Roth is ushered in as the frontman. Uh, June Prince's debut single Soft and Wet is released. Kate Bush became the first female solo artist to reach number one in the UK charts with a self-written song, Wuthering Heights. Uh, we have the Blues Brothers. We have Gary Moore joins Tin Lizzy. Do You Think I'm Sexy by Rod Stewart. Three Times a Lady. The Gambler, Staying Alive, Rivers of Babylon, Sultans of Swing, Teenage Kicks. Punch and Judy Man, Ray Tracy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and January, this is the start of the year. Top of the local, uh, Colin Bannis charts. Saving the weirdest for last. By request, Ted Nugent autographs his name into a fan's arm with a Bowie knife in Philadelphia. Jesus. Okay, well that's, a, that's one way of getting tattooed. Hmm. That's one way of keeping it. John Wilkes joins Rovers uh, from Cherry Orchard to take charge of the Hoops youth team. And this is the famous Wilkes family that. This is the dad of Anto Wilkes in Mexico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dad of Anto Wilkes in Mexico. And John Jr., of course, another mm-hmm. big Rovers fan that passed yep. away a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. Uh, Giles took prospect Pierce O'Leary with him to play for the Fury in the NASL. And O'Leary returned to Dublin to play for the Hoops again for the new season. And Rovers welcomed seven players from the Whitecaps. Came from Milltown for a winter break for the North American Soccer League. So, so are these Canadians or were they Canadians? No, no all Irish. Noel King, Dundalk, and John Cervi, uh, who's Cherby, yeah, Cherby, who's friend, brother, who's father Francis, had played for Shamrock Rovers in the early twenties, both signed by the hoops this season. And Paddy Mulligan made his decision to come back from England and renew his association with Shamrock Rovers. So Mulligan had finished out the previous season mm-hmm. with West Brom, so that must have been a bit of a big sign. And Paddy Mulligan. Yeah, there was also like John Osborne yeah. um, signed. Like he was like someone you'd read about and shoot. He won the cup with West Brom as the goalkeeper mm-hmm. in 1968. And he was also, yeah. what he was most famous for. There used to be a, a TV show on BBC called Quizball. Where Jesus teams would play against, they would have two players from the team, and they would have a celebrity supporter, and it was kind of like if you want to take a long pass, you try a two-point question and a short <laughs> pass, and if you're going to shoot, it was a two. But but he was the like the captain of the West Brom team, and he was a bit of a, a bit of a quiz whiz. Yeah, so probably be, if he's still around, he, he would. I think he died actually, didn't he? Yeah. But if he's still around, he's probably be Joey O'Brien's actually. serious competition. Oh, <laughs> but like he was another Irish international playing for Rovers. Owen Hand was came in. As yeah, well. Owen, Owen yeah. Hand was in around that time. Yeah. You know, Ray Tracy obviously. Noel Sinner had become an Irish international. I mean, mm. that stuff is just unthinkable now. Yeah, yeah. and Greg really was actually yeah. got one caps while he was with us, didn't he? I think. Um, no, I think he was with both. Was he? Yeah. Eamon Greg was that be any relation to Mac the Greggs, the goalkeeping family? No, there? yeah, but yeah. I know his brother Jimmy. The the, they, the two of them played for Rovers. Yeah, Eamon was right back and Jimmy was left back. Like the, the Greg 70s. family are right back in the in the history of Rovers yeah. and the founding mm. of it and everything yeah, like they're yeah. from that family. And before Gary reads on there, we have, he's going to mention Bobby Tambling. Garrett, what age do you think Bobby Tambling was when he played for Rovers? Um, I'm going to go old on this one. This name this name rings for some reason. He was Chelsea's, Chelsea's all-time record goal top scorer, goal scorer until Frank Lampard. I'll say, I'll say 40. Older. 42. Older. 45. 43. 43 is me. Hang on a second. Are you confusing Bobby Tamling with Bobby Collins? No, oh, Bobby yeah. Tamling. Bobby Tamling. Sorry, was quite yeah, no. Old. 
Well, Bobby Collins was 43 when he played. Yeah, Collins was 43. But Tamling was, was quite old when he played. I for could us. don't know how yeah. old Tamling was. Bobby Collins was 43. For, was he getting used? Um, he played. For, it, that, when, when was that? It was about 75. He managed. He managed a team over here too. Tamling managed Cork Celtic, and he played for a Cork team. Didn't we sign him? He wouldn't have played team. for Cork Celtic. I, I can't remember anything beyond that. He's scoring the league up anyway, and no, um, the, like the Bobby Collins one that we were saying, saying the last one, he was the dirtiest player ever existed. And, uh, <laughs> he basically actually, looked like John Jones's granddad. He was. He was. say five for five of barbed wire. <laughs> yeah, but he um, he yeah. made his debut yeah. for Celtic after World War Two. Yeah. So and he played for us in the seventies. Oh, we did talk about him. Say he was fond, of, fond of the old can of Aaron Brew, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thirteen September, history was made. The Shamrock Rovers staged their first European game at Glenmalow Park. Big occasion, gents. Cypriot side. I see provide the opposition for the historic occasion with goals from Giles and Linex. The hoops got off to a winning start. Prior to that occasion, Shamrock Rovers had played all their games at Daly Mount. No floodlights in Glen Malore. Oh, so the first well. European game. Yeah, it required an early kickoff. So that's where we were on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, away fans? Ah, no, back then. Famously, very, very after, few famously at the return leg, the, the, the home fans were so pissed off, they pelted the team with sea cushions, I think, didn't mm. they? That was the sea thing. cushions? <laughs> well, that, that was, I mean, that was quite an achievement back then. We won then. home away. We won home away, didn't concede mm. a goal. That was Huge. our first clean sheet in Europe, I think. Away mm. clean sheet or in general? In Europe, yeah. Over two legs, Home yeah. away, yeah. yeah. And the goalkeeper was Osborne, was it? John yeah, Osborne, Osborne, yeah. Because yeah. Adam O'Neill got, I think he got injured in the pre-season tour with Spain. That's correct. And Giles signed Osborne as on the hush-hush, actually. Yeah. He didn't tell anybody. <laughs> he signed him as emergency cover. And then O'Neill got injured. And then he had to play Osborne for this in. European match. 27th of September, a goal by Steve Linex away to Apoel Nicosia. Ensured the hoops would advance further in Europe. And Johnny Giles' plan was looking like it was starting to take shape. Was it ever an option to travel? Ah, no. not back then, no. no. A, few, a handful went over to um, to Cyprus, didn't they, I think? Yeah. About 10 went over, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you have to remember, this is at a time when it would have cost you a week's wages to fly to London. Yeah. This was pre right So there. if you were going yeah. to Cyprus, you'd have to have actually owned the company. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 22nd of October, 16-year-old Richie Bailey makes a debut for the Hoops in the 1-0 win away to Sligo Rovers and immediately earns himself much praise for the performance. And Bailey was one of the young stars brought to Milltown from Cherry Orchard by John Great Wilkes. Great loss, Richie. Mm. There was famous Bocker Bailey as well, yeah. family there. Yeah. Richie, Richie was thought that people would think of him as there's a future or a captain. He was that, he was that good that year. We played a game out mm. in Richmond. We drew three all. He got two goals. Yeah. And just, just thought we'd never hang on to him. He's yeah. just so good. It yeah, just doesn't happen for him though. Yeah. Just think of Bocker if he wasn't insane. <laughs> <laughs> 1st November, the Hoops were taught a lesson when they were beating 3 1 at home to Czechoslovakian side. Um, yeah, they, were, they were a good side. Yeah. O'Connor would like this one, wouldn't he? Czechoslovakian element of this one. Uh, Banik Ostrava in second round, second league cup. Winners at Milltown, so they trailed 3 0 after the first leg, needing four goals without replying to the advance. They went four to behind in the 36 minutes, so the Hoops were on the way out of Europe and it was back to square one. It was a real jump in class. Mm. Yeah. That was that, well, who was the main man that day who played really well? For them. No, I'm thinking of the Hungarian, am I? Yeah, you're thinking oh, think of the Tardis. The Tardis. But the thing is, like back then, the East European sides were very strong. Mm. And plus it was, it was a weird part of the world. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't the Czechs get to the European Championship finals? I think they won it. They, they won it in 76. Oh, they won in 76. Yeah. Yeah. That's Penenka. Penenka, yeah. Penenka, yeah. 
14th of January, the halfway point in the league campaign had been reached and the things weren't exactly going according to plan for Shamrock Rovers after their 2-0 win at home to Cork Celtic. The hoops were lying in joint 7th position behind home farm on goal difference and after a disappointing 11 points off Dundalk. So struggling in the league and then the 25th of February, Rovers beat Bowes 1-0 at Daily Mount Park thanks to Larry Murray's penalty and the result not only boosted the Milltown side's push for a place in Europe considerably also delivered a killer blow to Bowes effort to retain the title so 4th of March lowly Turlstown pulled off a shock defeat at Milltown after Carl Humphreys lay goal gave the tip side a 2-1 win mm. the result delivered a deadly blow to the Hoops European aspirations so not looking good at the minute here is that prof. the equivalent of us losing to UCD big time yeah. big time yeah. Similar. What they have, Torlis struggled to win, and the first, I was delighted to say, the first game they won, they beat Bows, and we all loved that, you know, but but they really struggled, you know. Galway seemed to kick off fairly well, didn't they? Like, yeah, they, they did all right, yeah. But the thing was, Torlis was like, I mean, Jesus, that's not exactly a football town, yeah, is it, you know? I mean, that's that's where the GEA was founded, man, yeah. you know, so. Um, Tour de Babel. A 4-0 win at home to Cork Celtic brought the 1978-79 that was the great goal by Steve Lennox in that Steve Lennox yeah. Yeah, yeah so brought it to an end Hoops finished 5th and 8 points behind the new champs Dundalk so 2 seasons in under Giles nowhere near challenging really no. the title yeah, 8th of April FAI Cup semi-final against Waterford was oh, played oh, before oh, a large oh, crowd oh, Sid Wallace strikes again turned out to be a nasty affair there was no repeat of the previous year's success with the Blues winning the game 2-1 and Sid got his revenge another horror game this is the one about this was we went we went when they looked I think it was the John Jones penalty Jeez. they equalised and two minutes and it was into the shed they got a fucking penalty and Sid who got slaughtered the year grabs before, the ball took it and then we were greeted to the site of his appalling arse as he dropped his shorts yeah. in front of the shed. Now, this is in the days of the shed where there was a fence. Right. And there were grown men trying to climb the fence to get on the pitch mm. to kill him. But the, the weird thing about it was, so I remember we, we, he became an absolute, like, I remember Ray Wilson talking about that, remember that bastard, uh, yeah. Sid Wallace. But I think years later, we were at an away match in the 90s, we were chatting away about the old days, and ah, jeez, where's Sid Wallace now? And I think it was Mick Cairn said that he knew someone who was in England on business I was introduced to him, uh, this is Sid, I said, you're not the Sid Wallace who played football in Ireland, oh yeah, 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 so talk about Rovers, apparently he thought it was, the whole thing was great, he loved Rovers yeah. fans, thought it was great banter, pantomime stuff, and never he took it seriously, yeah. we did though, yeah. <laughs> you're fucking right, so the 11th of April, Rovers final chance of winning a trophy for 78-79 was thwarted by Rovers Bowles, who beat the Hoops 2-1 in the final, and that's the senior club Bowles, had also beaten the Hoops in the League Cup final on the 11th of March, and after two seasons in charge, it appeared that Giles still had a good distance to go to make Shamrock Rovers the top side in Dublin, never mind the League of Ireland. So what were the f- thoughts after the first two seasons? Were you thinking, is this working? It, it, yeah, it was, the main criticism, I think, was the style of play because it was very kind of side-to-side stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, I mean, it was possession of football, Crotty, I was yeah. It was possession of football, which is fine. but More like, Crotty than Bradley. But it's actually mentioned in Khan said it, the whole mm. thing about... Giles could not play any of the, he would not compromise to play sort of hit and hope mm. on, on the pitch yeah he would have been similar in mentality to Stephen Bradley mm. we're playing this way and that's it did any of and the other 13 teams try and play football no but no. this is a time when English teams didn't play football so they're all going yeah. on yeah <clears throat> that's the way it played yeah. it was it was played in the air because yeah. people liked that the ball being kicked a long distance they he thought was that awesome. was something to be enjoyed <laughs> yeah. and there was also a tendency for Rovers if we went one nil up to just try and sit in the lead. You know, there was we'd never really go for the throat. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, the old thing about, ah, Jesus, they're trying to walk the ball into the net. There was the famous story yeah. about, uh, it's mentioned in Owen Royce's book, I think, actually, that uh, people were so annoyed by the style of play that the, as a protest, there was a match in Gonzaga, kids school by rugby game at the back of the, at the back of Milltown and everybody turned around and started watching the rugby match instead rather mm. than watch what was going on on the beach in Milltown, you know. But, you know. So 79-80, league position fourth and the trophy won, big one prop Leinster Youths Cup and here comes the music. Yeah, this is the last one, these now, 1979. We have the birth of Electropop. We have the Sugar Hill Gang, the Specials, Madness, Dire Straits' first American tour, Led Zeppelin's last UK tour. We have Sultan to Swing, Hot Stuff, Heart of Glass, YMCA, I Will Survive, I Don't Like Mondays, Video Killed the Radio Star, The Wall. We have BB King becomes the first blues artist to tour the Soviet Union, kicking off a one-month tour there. We have Simple Minds make their first television appearance. The Eurovision Song Contest takes place in Israel. Wasn't it in Israel this year or last year? I think it was. Liverpool yeah. this year. Yeah. Liverpool and then Israel before, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, no, it was in, uh, where was it? Yeah, it was in Israel. Yeah, a couple home. of years ago, anyway, I think. Ozzy I remember a certain who <coughs> not being very happy with that. Oh, yes. <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne fired from Black Sabbath. Chuck Berry is sentenced to four months in prison for tax evasion by a Los Angeles judge. Moi Sharona by uh, the, knack. the Knack hits number one on the Billboard charts. This is the first time in over a year that a song hits number one that is not either a disco song or a ballad, signalling the potential resurgence of rock. And July 1st, 1979, the Sony Walkman goes on sale in Japan. Jeez. Did you have a Walkman then? I did. I had a Martin was a Walkman. Jesus. <laughs> it was actually called a Stowaway when it first came out. In oh, I like that. Uh, the Sony Stowaway. I bought... Um, I bought I actually the the famous Bob Marley gig in Daily Mount. I, I worked on, on the crew at that, yeah. You know? Myself and another mate Donald Dunn, we used to hang around in Pat Egan's the sound cellar. And Pat Egan was promoting the gig and um, this goes into nineteen eighty, but it's still just a, a little story because it because Bo's it's so much part of the Bo's mythos about Marley playing there. <laughs> but I managed yeah. to get a, a stowaway out of the money I made in Daily Mount. But on the Sunday, we arrived on the Saturday and we were helping to set, the, set the, the stage up and all that kind of thing. And on the day of the, the, the gig, we were to stand behind the, that lane going into the main stand in Daily Mount. We'd make sure that the bands got in and nobody else who wasn't allowed to come in. But I arrived up and we were come up on Sunday morning. It was a lovely sunny day, I mean, it was in July or whatever. And walked out on the stage and I saw McDonald and saw these guys standing around and this one says, Would you like to meet Bob? Oh, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. So thank you, Bob. He's not a tall guy. But he had the football and he says, Do you feel like the match us against against the uh, against your lads? I said, Well, we could ask the groundsman, yeah. The groundsman at the time was a little bollocks. Yeah. Yeah, we used to drive around the little tractor and little thing. <laughs> And they, how are you, buddy? Is there any chance we can have a kick around? No, fuck off. Okay, so that was the end of that. So Bob never got a chance to play it on the pitch in Daily Mount, you know. And if you think about it, I mean, they're setting up a stage on the yeah. pitch. Yeah. I'm probably saying there's going to be 15,000 people trampling on Literally, this place. Literally, oh, you won't lose everything. Heads and volleys, yeah. So, uh, what did 1979 John and Martin look like? What was the fashion? Um, but we weren't like, like what punk, the, the thing I was thinking about a while ago, um, Around 78, 79, the big thing around the robes, they were all that. The hair was still kind of long. Check shorts, maybe jeans, cowboy boots. That was kind of. Whereas we were like. Still wearing the flares, no? 
Oh no, flares are no, we well gone. But like, we would have been like short, short hair, black t-shirts, leather jackets, straight leg jeans. In fact, we were going out to. I remember a few. We were going out to um, Richmond for a game. We were on the bus and we walked by. I remember hearing, "There they are, fucking sex pistols." <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember with a pair of brutal creepers back then. But it would like, we kind of. It's funny. With the wedge. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. Then, kind of rock and roller type yeah. kind of thing like Bono was wearing a couple yeah, of years some, ago. You had some strange. Yeah, he needs a few inches on Remember that pair? Remember, remember those clogs you had? Ah, that's, well, that was way before them. You, you, you run down the bus and it sounds like an accident in the feckin' boys club factory or something like that. You know? yeah. <laughs> so University College replaced Cork Celtic as members of the league. 14th of August, former hoop star Paddy Mulligan returned to Milltown for a prolonged career in the English League and Mulligan had been the subject of a record transfer fee at Milltown when he moved to Chelsea in 69 and he played for Palace and West Brom so big signing uh, 9th of September having promised so much over the previous two seasons only to fizzle out as the campaign went on the hoops began in the 79-80 season with a crushing 4-0 win against Sligo at Milltown and two of the younger prospects in Joel's squad Robbie Gaffney and Alan Campbell scored a brace each for Campbell who had just turned 19 years of age a month earlier it was the start of something great so as a player describe Gaffney because I actually don't think I've ever tough tough um, sort of a, an old school kind of wing half I suppose mm, you yeah, say. but yeah. he, he was a good player he could play yeah was that the Alan, the Alan Campbell season was it the, the, the I think that was 80-81 was it when he scored all the goals yeah he was he was just breaking into the side of he that he was just coming onto the scene here yeah. now and that's the thing that's, was that, I'm trying to remember now that did Bucco come along? Or, uh, that was a bit later. Or was that later? You know? The funny thing about Alan Campbell... We have, we have Bucco signing next Bucco, year. Yeah. So 11th mm-hmm. September, Johnny Joyles pulls up a major coup when he persuades Liam Buckley to throw his lot in with Shamrock Rovers. Um, Buckley, who like Alan Campbell, had just turned 19 years of age, attracted a lot of interest at his previous did club. He came from Shells? Was he with Shells? Shells, yeah. Uh, exactly, yeah, he yeah. played as a winger with Shells. And okay. then, then Joyles... Uh, Put him up front with Campbell. One of the best headers of a ball, apparently. Oh, fantastic. I'll never forget his goal against Liverpool. The funny thing about Alan Campbell, just to jump forward a little bit, he had there was the famous season after they had a, a competition in the League of Ireland for the top scorer. The first player, that, if any player got 20 goals, it was £1,000. £1,000, which was a lot of money back then. And he managed to do it on the last day of the season with four goals. You know, it was unbelievable because like, it was a nothing game for us. But um, I think uh, Neville Steedman and a guy down in Waterford were ahead of him. Uh, was it Des Kendi and Limerick, maybe? Des Kendi, and they were ahead and he got four goals but we got a penalty and he, he never took a penalty in his life and, they, and he, he scored the penalty and the place just it's like we won the Europe it's like they all won the money but he kind yeah. of after that for a couple of seasons went off the ball a little bit yeah and there were I won't mention any names to, 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 to save their blushes but there were a, 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 a middle aged married couple who used to go to the games who the abu- I've never heard any player being abused like they just used to pick on him every single bloody game Why? they just because he wasn't playing well, they decided to, to, to slaughter him. And you know what? Typical uh, support, uh, supporters. When we won the league and they ran on the pitch, who did go over the hook? Straight over. Straight over. Yeah. I just thought you them the whole time. hypocrites. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had we've had people talk about this partnership before, mm. but I, that's just caught my attention now mm. that they were both nineteen. Mm. I've never really thought about that. But that's the thing. It's like it just shows you the way these things develop. Uh, you talk about the four in a row. You talk about Jim McLaughlin. There you are. There's two key players. For the first of the four in a row, Ringo uh, interviewed Buckley and Campbell are, are teenagers are, are starting to play together at yeah. Rovers. Because I remember that season actually, um, we played up in Sligo. I don't know if that's mentioned. I think it was in January. Right. We were losing one nil. Rovers equalised just before half time. Buckley and Campbell just went. They they got six goals between that's them. Right, right. We won six one. And I remember 
we were thinking, geez, we're going to get battered here. Yeah. Going out. But uh, thankfully, the Sligo fans instead turned on uh, their manager. <laughs> so, so we could just was sneak Patsy out. McGowan, wasn't Patsy McGowan, no, yeah. He, no, he was smug- smuggled out in the mailbag, apparently. Okay. <laughs> there was one for us, bro. But just said uh, that, that, that say about Ringo there, he interviewed, um, when we started Hoops and Switch Ahead, he interviewed Joe Elliott, because he knew Joe quite well. And when Joe, Joe's been in Dublin since about 84, it was a taxing he came mm. over. But, but the, some of the members of um, the FLIP used to come along to Milltown for games. You'd see Joe there. Yeah, one of them had an apartment just down the road. And Ringo said, do you remember Milton. anything about it? He says, I just remember he says, you had these two blonde lads up front. He says, who looked just far too good for this level. He yeah. said, they should have been playing at a higher level. And like, Alec Campbell became an absolute legend for Santan there in Spain. They yeah, loved him there. Really yeah. good uh, record over there. Yeah, so that partnership led us to the first of the four in a row. So, like, and we lost imagine, both lost, imagine losing both of them at the same time. And yet... Jim McLaughlin actually replaces that. That turnover fascinates me. It's like, the weird combination, if we do now, and I don't want to jinx it, but if we were to win four in a row this year or go close, I think there's only about four players who were in all the four in a row maybe at the time. If we did it this year, there's about 12 or 13 players yeah. who, were in, mm. who were there all the time. Like, uh, mm. You see, the was back, back then, players, were, if there was anyone was showed any prospects, they were gone. Like, the four in a row was like, Three or four different teams. Like there was the last one was like the the the, the, the genius. Of the last one okay, was the bringing Keith Dignam and Brendan Moore from yeah, UCD, they were brilliant. Which pushed year, us over yeah. the line at the end, you know. That's actually fascinating yeah. when you think of it. Because I think we did count that, didn't we? I think we counted mm. about eight. A good a good indicator would be able to with possibly the 2019 World Cup or the 2019 FAI Cup. If you were able to kind of rattle off that starting eleven and the penalties, maybe you'd be well, able if to. You, well, players, if, if if we win the league this year, we're four. Okay. Big Al, yeah. uh, Lee Grace, yeah. Pico, yeah. Um, so, you, so you're rooting out Jack because he left and came Jack, back. Did, Jack wasn't there, so uh, yeah. Dylan Watts, Neil Ferrugia, Graham Bourke, Gary O'Neill, Rory Gaffney, Aaron Green. I'm sure there's more, but that's... A, that's Nearly like, there 11 already. Yeah, that's a, there's more, I'm sure. Of course, the other side that, uh, is that back then you didn't have a squad like you have now. Sean Cavanagh. You only have like four, 15, 16 true, players. True, true, yeah. Squad depth is massive in this. Different, different times. 11th of September, Paddy Mulligan becomes the ninth Shamrock Rovers player as the captain of the, Sh- the Republic of Ireland when he led the team out against Wales and Swansea. So Mulligan was followed in the footsteps of John Bourke, John Joe Flood, Patrick Gaskins, William Sackey Glenn, Jimmy Dunn, Peter Farrell, Jerry Mackey and Johnny Giles, all of whom captain Ireland while Shamrock Rovers players. What a uh, stat that is. Uh, 16th of October, the Republic of Ireland defeated Bulgaria 3-1 in the European Championships qualifying toy at Lansdale Road and two Shamrock Rovers players Paddy Mulligan and Pierce O'Leary running the start in 11 and the occasion was a rather special one for O'Leary as he joined his brother David at the heart of the Irish defence so that's a nice start as well Prof 25th of November Limerick United came to Milltown enjoying their best season in decades under the new manager own hand the game represented a four pointer and played before a crowd that paid gate receipts of 2800 uh, punts do you know what the funny thing is they it's not like uh, playing in front of 8,000 people, playing in front of 8,000 pounds. Yeah. Well, they it's used to the, do that, they fiddled it. Like, you, know, yeah. like, you reckon that people must have paid a penny in some yeah. of the gate receipts. Yeah. That actually annoys me when I'm reading through, and like interchanges between crowd numbers yeah. and gate receipts. It was, yeah. a, like, it was basically a fiddle. I can't yeah. figure out well, what Well, they weren't interested in crowd yeah. numbers, they were interested yeah. in pounds, shillings yeah. and pence. Absolutely, yeah. The stakes were high as a win for either side, but further their credentials as potential league champions. The hoops led through Alan Campbell at halftime, but conceded twice in the second half. Without reply to record their second defeat in 11 
games and coming up to Christmas prof it's the 23rd of December Alan Campbell's hat-trick was the highlight of a 6-1 win away at Sligo Rovers the hoops were now sitting in fourth place in the table five points behind Limerick and this is the game where the manager was smuggled out in the yeah, airbag yeah, yeah. <laughs> there was a game the year before I just wanted to post haste an interesting little sidebar here um, the season before 1978 we played Dundalk and Oriel and it's the only game I recall going to on Christmas Eve now, if Christmas Eve fell on a Sunday, there, was, there should have been a League of Warning game. But it was a game we remember because a few of us went up, and it, funny enough, the, the trains were back then. We could get it, it was a night game on a Sunday, but we could get the train back. But uh, we were in the pub beforehand, we were only teenagers at the time, it was three or four of us. And the Dundalk fans were full of the joys of Christmas, and oh, we're fair play to you, support your team, and boy, the drink and all this. Like, so we went anyway. But Ray Tracy got sent off at the game. I took it really badly and the whole atmosphere just went poisonous like we nearly had to get a police escort out of the ground at the end they just wanted and they yeah. won with a late goal they remember and that things yeah. Ray wouldn't he wouldn't go he, off the pitch he wouldn't go and off he the, stood he, on the touchline shouting abuse at the referee get off the pitch crazy you bollocks and all this yeah <laughs> very yeah. excitable people but can there, you yeah. remember another Christmas Eve game can you no Steve's Day yes but not yeah, Christmas Eve it was a Eve. funny one Steve, we spoke about it on the last show as well I, I find that Bizarre having a game on, on Christmas Eve, you know. Stephen's Day was traditionally the Lancer Senior yeah. Cup final, wasn't it? Coming back to the Dublin, it's like about midnight from Dundalk, and he walked. We walked down the steps in Connolly, and town was was empty. Yeah, yeah everyone was just ghost a town, a different area. Yeah. Thirtieth of December, a goal each from the hoops. Two new young strikers, Campbell and Buckley, was overshadowed by the display of a veteran, Ray Tracy, who scored four times when Rovers beat Cork United. Right. Alberts, mm. fucking. Hippopotamus, whatever the fuck you're <laughs> going to call them. 6 uh, 0 at Milltown. And uh, we're going to hear from the famous Con Morphy again on where it all went wrong. First to go was Eamon Dunphy, who within the first year had seen enough to convince him that the league and other clubs weren't interested in what they were trying to do. I thought about it for 12 months, but then I got out. I ran away from it because I wasn't going to be involved any longer. I mean, there were fellows robbing clubs. There were players robbing us, putting in for overtime they never had to do, playing matches, and it was awful stuff. They were totally ripped off. Giles had to put up with awful stuff by players, by other people, by other clubs. There was jealousy, the press was hostile, and the schoolboy leagues were hostile. They wouldn't even let us play in their top league. It was hopeless. They wanted to keep it down at their level, at the Athlone. Finn Harps, Drogheda United level. They didn't want us to rise because they knew that they couldn't rise and they didn't want a professional club dominating the league, as they put it. These were small-minded people with their own parochial interests. It took me six months to realise that this was happening. I'd given up as a player then and I made the decision to come home. I had massive opportunities in England, huge opportunities, Fleet Street and all sorts of things, and I committed to the League of Ireland because I really thought I could change and modernise it. Boy, was that a mistake. I even gave my FAI Cup winner's medal away after we won the FAI Cup in our first season. I gave it to the guy that got me my NUJ card, Sean Kinsella, and I didn't think nothing of it. He was a Sligo fan, and I said, here it is. You got a medal, and thanks for getting me my card. I had utter contempt for them. I've never been back to a League of Ireland ground since. So where and how did it all go wrong? Fran Gavin espouses one theory. I think the rest of the league weren't ready for Shamrock Rovers, 
The FAI weren't ready for them and they were ahead of their time. They won the cup in their first year. They didn't win anything the next year. And then I think there were problems. Some of those problems definitely involved the weight of expectation and good old Irish begrudgery. The New Look Rovers arrived with great fanfare and people sat back and dared them to sweep the boards. Instead of allowing them the breathing space to build up to achieve their ambitions, the footballing world was ready to sneer if they fell at the very first hurdle. On top of that, much was made of a comment John Giles allegedly made declaring that Rovers would win the European Cup within five years. To this day, he claims he never made that remark. It's amazing what journalists will write in their papers, saying I had a five-year plan to win the European Cup and this sort of thing. I had no plan. I always made sure that I never put a time limit on everything. I knew, even in those days, that it was deadly to do that. But of course, the papers have to put a story in and suddenly there's a five-year plan to win the European Cup, which is madness. I would never say anything like that. I wasn't a fool. I wasn't stupid enough to think that we were going to get as good as Real Madrid, but it could have eventually been possible to win in Europe. I would say it was perfectly possible, but what I was trying to do was to stop some of the good young lads going to England and build up a team that could play in the League of Ireland and put up a good show in Europe. The pressure to achieve everything at once eventually undermined the team. Although they did win the cup in their first season, they finished fourth overall in the league, which meant they wouldn't play in Europe until the following season. Inevitably, the jibe started. How are you going to win the European Cup if you're not even in it? Once the floodgates were opened, all the old football grudges against Shamrock Rovers... Giles and Louis Kilcoyne came pouring out in a tide of insults and derision. Anyone who had an axe to grind took the opportunity to do so now. They queued up to dance on the grave of Rover's dream. Louis Kilcoyne remembers it well. There was great jealousy out there. You either love or hate Rovers and most clubs didn't love us because we had that great tradition well before my time of winning leagues and cups. There was enmity and bitterness there. There was a suspicion that we were too uppity and too big for our boots and that we would steal a margin. I say perceived because we didn't have a bottomless pit, you know. But our motivation was just to make Rovers great again and nothing else. Fran Gavin agrees. There was a lot of jealousy when you saw Rovers coming back. Rovers being successful meant that someone else wasn't going to be successful. So as a result, they weren't encouraged amongst the clubs. My way of looking at it was there was a bit of envy around the place and Rovers had a huge setup, you know. It was only natural. Gavin also feels that men like Giles and Dunphy were ahead of their time and ultimately pulled back by the narrow-mindedness of their peers. I think the problem was that there was a type of football John Giles wanted to play. You could play it in Milltown because the pitch was absolutely fantastic and he saw it that way. He made sure it was a big priority. I mean, if the surface was right, you could play football on it. But when you went outside of there, you went to some of the country clubs and some of the other clubs in Dublin, you just couldn't play football on them. It was very, very difficult. And in the middle of winter, it was even worse. You were brought down to their level. That was the way he worked. He brought in an international setup. He brought it into Shamrock Rovers. And unfortunately, we weren't ready for that. It was kick and rush stuff here. People were impatient and you'd be playing against big, strong lads. 
I just think that they didn't have the wherewithal to do it, basically. You have to realise that John and Eamon came from full-time professional backgrounds and a long time in football, but professional football. People here didn't have that. It was a part-time setup, and most of them had other things to do. Most of the boards were voluntary. The people that ran the clubs were businessmen, maybe with the exception of one or two clubs. So they didn't have the wherewithal to do it. It wasn't a case of they didn't know how to do it. They wouldn't know how to invest. They didn't have the people to invest that sort of money and they were doing okay as they were at the time. So why put themselves into huge debt to do it? What was the return for it? You might get into Europe and into the first round and get knocked out. That was the way it was. Very short-term thinking. Giles had a very definite vision of what he wanted to achieve, but he was hampered by the reality of football in Ireland. Perhaps he could have modified his vision in order to be successful within that reality, but then modification just wasn't his style. A story recalled by Johnny Byrne, former coach at Rovers, is very telling. I remember once when we went down to play Thurless Town, we walked the pitch before the match and there was a greyhound track and the pitch was in the middle of it. The grass wasn't cut. It was probably the worst pitch ever. There were some bad ones, but this was really bad. I went and spoke to Gilesy about this and I said, John, far be it from me to tell you what to do, but I wouldn't be telling the lads today to pass, but to hoof the ball up and pick up bits and pieces and go from there. And this is exactly what he said to me. I know you're right, JB, and in my heart, I cannot do it. It's not what I believe in. And still to this day, I haven't mentioned that to him because he had a way. He had a dream of the way he wanted football played. And there was no way you could achieve that on a pitch in Thurless Town. Dunphy is still unforgiving about the fact that their biggest enemies were within their own footballing community. That really was the rub. It's the kind of people that are in the League of Ireland. There's a breed of person in it, that small town, county councillor, freebie, who contribute nothing and take as much as they can. They've always held the power in Irish soccer and they still do to this day. They've never contributed to anything and don't like big ideas and they don't like independent-minded people around because they can upset the little cosy apple cart and they'll show up the other clubs. They don't want a club rising that will show up their own. Look at Pats at the moment. They've been up and down. And Derry too have been up and down. The worst thing that happened to Derry in terms of money was getting into the League of Ireland and winning. Dundalk, Drogheda, Finn Harps, belly up all over the place. Nothing good is ever allowed to develop here because they won't allow anyone to do it. We tried it when we were here, but they didn't want it. They said, no thanks but it will interfere with our clubs. They want what is best for the lowest common denominator, and that will always be the case. They don't like talented people. They hate talented people. They're repelled by talented people. They vilified Giles when he came over. Vilification beyond belief. This was a guy that was making a massive sacrifice, and he was making one to do this, and he was vilified. That's it. That's the story. It keeps happening and it keeps happening. I don't see any sign of change. There's an awful lot of chancers out there with coaching badges now. And the Kilcoins came along at Rovers with a vision and tried to implement it. 
First of all, there were greedy players and they were exploited. Secondly, they were mocked. Thirdly, people, other people in the league, feared them and tried to do them down. And fourthly, they packed their bags and left and sold the ground. And although it was a very controversial thing, and it's very sad to see houses there, I thought they were right. This was no place for people with aspirations or ambitions because they were going to Athlone and changing in a hut. And that, in a nutshell, was that. So the audio um, with Khan, and it's, it's a fascinating time in, in football. So tell us your thoughts on, on, on what Khan was actually speaking about. Well, the, the second part is um, the Eamon Dunphy thing. Like, I think he really cuts himself off the knees and he starts defending Louis. Like, we were discussing this. And, like, mm. Khan adds, by the way, he felt sick in his mouth as he was yeah, reading that. He's, about he's, Khan he's, being right to sell Milltown. You know, um, like, did, did he come out and publicly say that? Well, Giles. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's like that after Orvis. He, he, yeah, he was even saying when UCD knocked Orvis out of the cup, oh, that's, a, that's a great side, that UCD, you know, he, during he, the boycott they season. Had him for, he, when he was right, right for the Tribune first, they had him doing the, um, he used to have him doing the League of Ireland preview on a Sunday. And when Bowes, Bowes beat uh, Rangers 3 2, oh, he started describing with Bowes as League of Ireland champions elect, there's a proper side, and they think, you bitter little man yeah thing. it really was but like, he was a mate he was a mate of Louis and you know well you keep calling the, the, the chicken league the chicken yeah, league yeah, yeah. yeah well the thing is when it comes down to it Eamon Dunphy wasn't a success in the league of Orange he wasn't a failure either though. no but it's the only time he won a bloody trophy I know but yeah. he, you know he took it out and everybody else yeah you know I, I, but listen to what he said on that I, I, I can't really know what he said there was a certain amount of truth. Yeah, there were a lot of bitter little men who didn't want to see it do well. But Dunphy, as he always did, personalised the whole thing. Like it was mm-hmm. like, uh, like it was like his rants against Jack Charlton mm-hmm. years later, his rants against Michelle Platt. Yeah, and besides, you should be motivated by bitter little men anyway. But, mm-hmm. but defending Louis just is an all-star for most people. I think. Yeah. I mean, I thought he had some neck to go on TV a few years ago. Remember the Save Talca Park campaign? Yeah. I like you couldn't even see his head in the frame. His neck was so fucking long. <laughs> just, to, just actually talking about saving Talca Park, having saying like good riddance to Glenmalore Park all those years ago. I could not believe he was on TV saying that. But just to bring back something I mentioned before we came on, um, I'm trying to remember this. One of the reasons we have a supporters club is because of Eamon Duffy. Do you remember that night he came down? Was at the junction. Uh, well, I, I remember there was an open night upstairs in the junction. Wasn't in it? no, in the in the in Middletown. And he came. He basically got up and spoke to us and said, "You need to have a sports club. You need to have a voice in the club. It's, you need to do this." He was really positive and he was brilliant about it. Yeah, and you wouldn't expect him because to us he's just the, he's the bitter little man. But he really yeah, he was, wasn't. He wasn't then. No, but he really was like, and, mm. and I think the sports the sports club started in '79. Then wasn't it? Yeah, know? that was it was involved myself and, and Jimmy Kane and and, um, and, and Jimmy big, Gillespie. The first big thing was make, was basically um, fundraising to get to get lights in Milltown. Really, wasn't it? That was the front that they came up in '82. Uh, Jimmy Kane was a, a, a main mover and all of that. Yeah, yeah it was '82. But just we, went to, we went to so, so many dodgy dinner dances, eating that radioactive Ray chicken. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose in general, Dara Whedon's conclusion and his narrative um, like do you subscribe to, to any of it well no he, he came in with a preconception and he basically wrote a book around that preconception I mean people were making the case back then I mean Judge was making the case back then like how, how, is, how is Irish football going to improve 
You know, it's, it's, it's like they were claiming that, that it, by definition, the League of Ireland has to be shite. Which is nonsense. Yeah. There was, there was also like, a, what Rovers have done in the last few years shows that if, if, if you put the right things in place, it can, it can transform. There was a theory Rovers, that the foreign row team Rovers killed the league. Absolutely. Back the, then. What? There was, an idea, there was a theory that the foreign row team killed the league because it was uncompetitive and crowds started going down. But you missed the fact that the crowds were going down anyway. It was the mid-80s. And around the mid-80s, they started showing live uh, first division games on, on ITV and BBC. That started in the early to mid-80s. Yeah. I've often had a row with shows about when exactly mm. the first one was, but I think BBC <laughs> showed one in 83. But that play, showing live match on Sunday really put a dent in yeah. the League of Ireland, you know. It's like the point I always made, you know, I'm not a fan, fan of Bob Dylan. So if he's playing in my back garden, I will close the court. <laughs> <laughs> And people just weren't interested. So, you know, it doesn't matter what, how good the Ford and Road team were. They weren't it's also, interested. Also got yeah. A, so, yeah, they, you they have to... Capture the how do you get people interested? But you've also got a major supporting organisation in the country doing their damnedest to keep another sport down. Like, yeah. like the dark arts of the GAA are just... You know, like Fergus, you know Fergus McCormick and Fergus works on RTE. Yeah. The pressure they get from the GAA really? is unreal. Absolutely unreal. If, if there seem to be too... Uh, too Kind towards soccer. There was a character on them um, when they used to, on them um, at the Apray match team. Barry Murphy would do a sort of a GAA man, you know. And <laughs> if they called it football, no, you must call it soccer. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Ferguson said that, that was scarily close to the truth. So, like Giles leaves in uh, 1983 or the end of the 82-83 season. Uh, Noel Campbell yeah, finishes no. off in an interim basis. Um, like our best runner up, our best position under Giles was runner up in 1982 that qualifies for the UEFA Cup. Oh, right, that was the mad four points from the away win season, yeah. wasn't it? Oh, that four one, yeah. points from the away win. Yeah. Basically, you would be looking at the league table. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. If you won three games draw, in a row, you, you get a Ford Escort. Ridiculous. <laughs> do, you know, do you know the thing as well? I think the current structure works. There's no fiddling around with it anymore. A like ten I, team I, league. I, I think ten is too too few. Yeah. yeah, but it's a bit like yeah. you know what color? What would you, what would you what color would we paint the pig so that people will like the pig? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a famous. I prefer more teams and and home the way. I think four. I think four games are too many as well. It, it kind of takes away the, the excitement of the Well, you can see. I, I agree it's, with that, it's funny, yeah. you know, not the way we always complained about the fact that the league was broken up into four sections. Yeah, and you know, four rounds, four series, and yeah, four yeah. series. You're playing the same teams at the same time. Now that it's more broken up. It actually feels more repetitive. Do you think so? Yeah, well, we see them playing Pats every second week. I think it and seems balls, to work yeah. at the moment. Well, they, well, they front loaded the fixtures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really Europe, Unless there's so a genuine yeah. alternative, I think we should kind of stick with it. And mm. I mean, yeah. what's the what? What's the best of a bad lot? Like, yes. Say an eighteen. You wouldn't have. You, can, you don't have eighteen teams fit to have in the Premier Division. Yeah, right? plus bottom, eighteen teams twice a season, twenty-four games. Yeah. That'd be a good, good league. Very serious bottom line here, though, lads. You know, I don't know about the rest of you. But I go to see Shamrock Rovers. Very much so, yeah. And so, but, like, whether it's Finn Harps or... Yeah. But we don't Ray have a good point. It doesn't matter, you know. We don't exist in the vacuum, John. Like, you know, it's kind of... I know, same. yeah. The thing about, for example, the magic of playing balls is, is diluted by playing them four times a season. And if we get them yeah. in the cup, which we often do, that's five times a season. Yeah. You know? No, we enjoy it every time, you know, yeah. especially if we win. And not to yeah. go off topic too much, but let's say the the prospect of an all Ireland league, and it's, it's a, it, on paper, it's great. 
on paper yeah. it's great but the politics that exists behind yeah. it mm. and the absolute murder that would exist between either European places um, current existing board members blazers exactly uh, and I just I don't think it's going to happen I don't think it'll happen there. and what about the 12th of July <laughs> the 12th of oh, July what about mm. Boxing Day yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. it's just not going to happen in my opinion anyway um, so yeah like I ma- we mentioned earlier the Vancouver Whitecaps and I was asking you was there any reaction to that like was Giles was he doing both jobs was he spending less time and energy on Rovers well I did feel like he tended to disappear you know around about March so our season wasn't over Mm-hmm. So that that he didn't seem right. To disappear. Yeah. This is like you're halfway <laughs> home. You realise you've only wearing you're only wearing <laughs> one shoe. I'm how they're not bothered by this. Do you know what I mean? It's to be honest, we put up a lot, with a lot in the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> well, you <laughs> have to remember won- we've. What we've been through in the seventies up to then, we, we were going to give him some leeway, like yeah, but, uh, but he bought into it. it. When he started bringing players yeah. with him, well, hold on a minute, like yeah, right, who are we playing? Yeah. Well, start elevens and predictions. Yeah, he's in, two of them are in Canada, lad. So but they it, won't be set. Just it was, it was an odd season. It was during the summer when it happened, though, wasn't it? it? Was the summer season? So, so yeah, have, summer season. Have, have you ever been to Canada for Martin? Any business meetings or anything like that? Canada, no. no. No, like that. So you don't run a casting so agency no, in Vancouver. No. So we've no. ran that. That one's over. Let's scratch that okay. one off the list anyway. Uh, a few things from early 1980 to finish off the season and this podcast. So, um, lads, we asked you in part one, where are we at New Year's Eve 1969? So, where are we at New Year's Eve in 79? John, we'll start with you. Jesus Christ. Let that one sit. Um, probably, oh, I see this type of thing. Probably in, the, probably in the White Horse, Martin. Yeah. It's a really horse good chance. You get a really horse. nice point of that in here as well. What do I point of course, that's another horse. thing about the 70s. That was when we discovered the White Horse. Mm. And it eventually became a Rovers pub. Yeah. We, we, we started drinking there about 76. Where's this pub? On George's Key. Where the Irish Press was. It's owned by Len Allen, who was a good Rovers man. Is this the one that burnt down? No, no, it wasn't born down. That no. was the one in his car. That was the Carson Jockey. Oh, Jockey. Oh, 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 uh, it's a Starbucks. It's a Starbucks. Oh, lovely, yeah. That's great. It's, it's <laughs> just... It, but you, it was, you know the, the, the road where Tower Street is? Hmm. Obviously, it, it's we, 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 It's just the next... We would basically the end of that block. Horse and yeah. get the bus and all that kind of thing. So, big, can you remember... Big Deck actually think lived there. Can you remember where you were on New Year's Eve anyway? Probably near the White Horse. Probably the White Horse. Probably somewhere trying to chase women and failing. So, um, so yeah, what were you getting up to at this stage? Like, had you so seventy uh, nine? We would have been in a been rock nine, and roll band. Nine, we were walking. We were working in the 19, same job 20, at the time. Right? Yeah, we were working in the same job. job time, you say. Crew, yeah. Job. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Right. A job that no need of us uh, no longer work at. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, what was uh, Dublin City like? That's a vague question, but what was Dublin City like coming into the new decade? I go down now and say go down um, George Street and that and that. Even on a Thursday night, it's, it's buzzing and it's live. Dublin, if you went to a gig or something like that, as we bench for football and music kind of ran, ran on two parallel tracks, we were music obsessive. And any decent gig was in Dublin, we'd go to the gigs and all that kind of thing. It'd be gigs up in the Olympic Ballroom. But if you're on a Thursday night and say you were getting a taxi home, there'd be no one on the streets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I even remember like Saturday nights, if you wanted to stay in town, you end up going up to... So the likes of the National Ballroom yeah. where the strongest thing they served there was tea yeah. and you'd be watching the memories who used to do Bohemian Rhapsody better than Queen <laughs> and you're sitting there going why didn't we get the last fucking bus home this but is we, crazy we'd also as teenagers be going out to the top hat and seeing The Clash 
the Stranglers, yeah. the Jam. We'd see the Buzzcocks as well in Trinity College. Well, the clash the first time they played in Trinity College was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but that's things, a lot. Of, lot of, was would have been a lot of gigs around there. I think it was, was the Stranglers mm. and UB40. Great gig, 12 years of age. First gig, the two of us went to the first gig together, and it was there. That band that we dropped in casually last time, Slade, in the National Stadium. Slade. Also, also George Bourne's first gig as well, because when we became friends years later, we mentioned it. George, where it all began. Yeah. So the Progressive Shamrock Rovers Supporters Club staged, is that the actual, it wasn't called the Progressive, so the Shamrock Rovers Supporters Club staged a very first player of the year awards at the Hoops Night Club in Milltown. Oh, great night. Gaffney proved to be a very popular first recipient of that first team award. You wouldn't know. No. You wouldn't know. Yeah. Whatever happened to Robbie actually? <laughs> So we, we've jumped ahead now just to the end of the 79-80 season because we're, we're only supposed to talk about the 70s. Uh, technically, but, um, 1980s, the last yeah, year of the, the 70s. 70s didn't stop in Ireland until about 1992. <laughs> <laughs> in, in fairness to it, really, the 1950s. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so we're going to wrap up. And the first three years of 1980 before Jim McLaughlin arrived, where were we as a club? No idea success coming and dominance on the way. Four, the, the, three the, seasons. The, glor- the thing of the excitement of the Joyles coming in thing in 77 had worn off at this stage you know mm. um, but I haven't said that we were a better team you know like we could we could think seriously about qualifying for Europe but yeah. it would have been a joke like, you know, yeah but well, the, the thing is like he'd left behind a decent team it just lacked a little something yeah like he got rid of Alan O'Neill which was a shock at the time wasn't know, it and he brought in the reserve keeper from, from Dundalk I was like, who's yeah. this guy? And he got rid of Noel Sim as well. No, was yeah, I remember being popular. really, really angry about guy? that. Who is this about guy? McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Who is this man? Because yeah, Anna Nave is just a legend. And then obviously. suddenly we know, you know what? This lot aren't actually too bad, are they? Uh, we won, did we win something like the, when did we beat? Um, was it but, President's Cup? Was it or something we beat UCD? Was it? Oh, yeah. That was the night of the... The uh, night of the referendum. The, ref- the, uh, the, the abortion, abortion referendum. referendum. Jesus. Because I remember and thinking... we were a bad form you know, anyway. Do you go to... Ro- there was a bus strike, so the choice was stark. The other went home from work and voted in, yeah. in the abortion referendum. Or you go to Rovers and you don't vote in the yeah. abortion referendum. I did vote. And uh, well, that's because you live in Ballybock, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I actually missed Rovers and went home. But we to won vote the President's Cup, and that was that's, kind of. That's, that was the pro life referendum. Yeah. Crazy stuff. The. Um so I always I was always fascinated with the Jody Bourne acquisition, and I spoke about this with him in the when we we had the the Pride of Resilience special. And I couldn't believe that actually happened, that they drew, that Alan O'Neill was gone, they brought in this yeah. youth, this young lad. So even thinking about the two 19-year-olds that were playing, I had no idea that Alan Campbell and um, Liam, Buckley. Liam Buckley were that young playing. Like it's, young. it's always something that I love hearing from people who've actually seen them playing, what types of players that they were. They were great to watch. They were real yeah. buccaneering. Sort of yeah. Really exciting to watch. Well, that was the thing, like, something like the, the way uh, Twiggy and Desi Baker that Campbell and Buckley just had this radar. They just knew where each other was going to be. The, the anticipation was laid. Like, yeah. Campbell was more of a goal scorer. Buckley was probably the better footballer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even saying that now, can you name a modern day partnership of two strikers? It doesn't exist anymore. It's, no. Yeah, the game's not played that way now. Like maybe York and Collie United was the last one. That was the one yeah. that really got me and probably the prop into yeah. football as well. But that Man United team, it yeah. captured our imagination. They were but brilliant. But the ones in the 70s where we were playing, like, there was the famous one was um, Toshak and, Toshak and Keegan, Keegan at Liverpool. Yeah. Like, they weren't Keegan, like Keegan yeah. wasn't that striker, but they really worked well together. Yeah. yeah. But there was even strange ones like um, the Joker. It was... Um, 
what was it? The good there were guys of Palace like yeah, man, Mike Flanagan and Derek Hales and all these acting. Yeah, like they were, but they were great strikers together. Yeah. There was um, when we like, we went went to a, a league of Ireland against the football league, and there was two guys from Hull, Chris Chilton and Ken Wagstaff and all that. And right, they, they were great. There was a lot of duos yeah. in, yeah. in the sixties and seventies. Yeah, and it yeah. seems to be. I think this, the, the idea like that the, the long striker, football, yeah. I think that Drogba was one of the main ones where they had this guy up front who was like the first line of defence and then yeah. football has changed, you don't have, like, it killed people like Michael Owen who was always relying on somebody else to do the hard yeah, work. Yeah, little knock on, in. finishing yeah, the box, exactly, yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. So uh, the Champions League draw as we speak, lads, tomorrow, <gasps> so when this airs, you might already know who it is, but... It was Iceland and Romania in 82, Cyprus and Czechoslovakia in 78. So what was the first trip, European trip, that you went on, lads? Jeez, it wasn't for years, was it? Um, I think Celtic was the first one I was yeah. on. Celtic? It was 86. The one we lost one in at home, didn't we? Am I right? Yeah. I, I probably didn't go. I, I Butcher, what was the name of the guy? Butcher Billy or someone scored? The Morda McLeod. Morda McLeod. Butcher yeah. Billy. <laughs> Butcher <laughs> Billy, yeah, him as well. Butcher <laughs> Billy, he was playing left wing. He was a fan of the band. Yeah. I think the first one, um, the first away European one, I think, was in, it was until 94. <laughs> uh, it was a great one, though. 7 0 against Garnick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was at that, yeah. Uh, like that. But like I said, it's. Um, it's so who do we want? We talked about this off here. Larn. We want Larn on the twelfth up there. <laughs> Reinforced buses. Uh, we, we joined the march as well. We yeah. might as well. Um, it's really, really interesting, and the narrative that's surrounding this conversation in WhatsApp groups, Rovers chatting, just in general in pubs and stuff like that, is that we don't want certain teams. But I'm like, obviously, you do want Larns and you want the the teams. But I'm confident enough of. The level that we're at now is that we well, can do well, well against they, these teams that are there. They, they probably won't want us. I'd imagine yeah. so. I'd imagine they'd look at the pedigree well, and what's it, been going in on. In terms of glamour and possibility, it's it's a bit of a shit draw though, isn't it, Rick? Yeah, but I think ultimately what we want is to get through the fourth round. This yeah. prestige yeah, it doesn't matter how we round. get there. Get through. Yeah. I don't care how we could play fucking Bangor Celtic, and I wouldn't care. I want to get through this round and then have the opportunity to go through more and have a playoff. Well, and besides, you, you know, you still it doesn't matter who you're playing. You have to beat them and. You could get it, what well, you might consider a handy draw, yeah. and make a balls of it. Exactly what you we know? said, yeah. And I'm thinking like back fairness. to... Exactly. And what, yeah, just I mean, thinking back to some really good performances in Europe mm. that we've had under Bradley. Like, we yeah. can beat anyone in Tala, let's We know that. Yeah, so, that, that was easily the most impressive thing about last year, is we looked so strong at home. Yeah, won all four qualifiers in Tala, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so that is it, lads, and um, you've been brilliant. It's been super The lads weird. have to get going. You have to head off. John has to head off to RTE. Martin has a, a walking tour of Dublin to do. Butcher, yeah. Baker, Candlestick yeah. Maker. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we're yeah. still not sure. So that is it, lads. You've been brilliant, and that is yeah, that 70 show. All parts were absolutely yeah. brilliant. I'm just glad I got a word in edgewise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can I just say finally? Um, it was nice to meet you, colleagues, because I also work for Post. <laughs> Fuck off. I, I, I have a desk job at the GPO. I don't believe yes. it. Yes. So that's what I thought. That's what's so funny. I have to say when you said that. Uh, you couldn't have written a better, a better ending for that. History lecture. Good luck. We, we both left school at 17. Delete yeah. the podcast. This is embarrassing. <laughs> oh my God. And I just thought, I just said to you earlier. Can't you post these smell each other? We're going to have to go on the rabbit hole I, I, now. I'm, 30, I'm 37 years in non-post. I started as a postman in 1986. So that is it for uh, episode 24. What are we on, Prof? 247. And yeah, thanks for listening. And see you in Europe. See ya. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.